Hello, everyone, and welcome back once again to the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites' weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name is Brian Vitali. Joining me today is the usual crew, minus one. We've got Josh Torres. Hi, hello. Adam Vitali. Chow will maybe show up. Yeah, Chow is the uh, the minus one. He sometimes shows up late, and if he does, uh, we'll just uh, admonish him for it. But then we will accept him with open arms. We also have James Galizio. Hey, folks. It's already, at the time of recording, what, April 30th? Where did the month go? I know all, all of us have had some sort of life events going on the month. We've had a few podcasts where certain different people were missing. So it's been a busy time in real life. It's been a busy time gaming space we've had pax east even though uh it didn't have a ton of bombshells out of it we had a few features coming up out of that we were able to have uh, one of our site contributors scott white over to look at some of the offerings over there we've got a few features up on the site outside of that we've got some reviews in progress we got some games that we can't quite talk about yet and we've kind of got some time to talk about games that we've been getting back to games on the backlog things like that Let's just kind of go roll right into it and see uh, what we have to talk about for this week. I guess I'll just start out with the, um, should I start out with the features or should we just start out with the games we've been playing? Well, it's kind of, a, it's kind of a hot spot. Yeah, let's, uh, let's start off with the features. I mean, uh, since you mentioned PAX, uh, Scott wrote up uh, a big trio of uh, things that he saw over there. Yeah, so uh, Scott was able to go to PAXIS for us now. By his own admission, he said it was a little bit smaller scale than we've seen in the past, a little bit. Uh, he was able to see a lot of what was there to offer in just a little over a day. Things are still kind of you know, ro- rolling back into normalcy outside of the last two years of hell, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but there were still a couple things from there that he thought were really interesting, really worth sharing. And he just blitzed out three, three cool features for the site uh, for his time at PAX. The one that I thought was most interesting to me was a feature for a ogre battle fan-made spiritual successor in sort of ways inspired by called symphony of war the nephilim saga which i don't know that's not a great name i don't think but it is a game that looks very much like the tactical rpgs of you know 15 20 years ago and he was able to speak with basically the uh it's pretty much like a soul dev experience for this game symphony of war and he was able to write up his feature on it and it did pretty well on our social channels as he shared about it this game doesn't have a release date yet but it is slated to release this year uh that was the first preview that he was able to put up i don't know if adam if you had any other thoughts on this because i think you were the one that also had a lot of interest in this game uh so apparently it's also inspired by dragon force for the sega saturn which i've never played but it does have that basically mix of kind of Real-time strategy, or not real-time strategy, like a Fire Emblem-type tactical game, as well as these sort of squad-based like uh, battles where you have like groups of units that are fighting each other with this pixel art style. Uh, it looks interesting for sure. Uh, I don't know if it's something that I'm going to be playing right away. Maybe I'll just see how it, you know, how impressions are. But it, it's definitely of the games I saw Scott talk about at PAX. Just like you, it's definitely the one that looks most interesting to me. So that's up on the site. Uh, just look for. Go to our um, articles tab. You'll see it there as his three previews are the most recent ones on there. Before we go into the next preview, just speak of the devil. Joining us is Chow Min Wu. How's it going, guys? Hey, how's How it going? You, How are things? Uh, good, I think. <laughs> you just woke up? No, no, no. I, I, I was watching this uh, Final Fantasy streams. So nice. I, I oh, we, uh, we can talk about, yeah, we can talk about that a little bit later once we get to that. <laughs> 
So the other feature that uh, one of the other features that Scott was able to put up from PAX East was for a game called WrestleQuest. Now, I will just say just from the outset, I have no interest in wrestling at all. So when I like see this game, I'm just immediately not interested. But if you are, this is a JRPG inspired, sorry, a wrestling inspired JRPG styled game. So I think it's that, to be honest, like it kind yeah. of reminds me of like how the how like Dodgeball Academia, for example, like how it kind of blended like an RPG with the Dodgeball sport. And it's like, oh, this is pretty neat. So when I saw this, I'm like, this kind of even though I'm not, I haven't watched wrestling in years. I'm like, I think it's really cool for you know developers to explore and kind of like meld these two genres and see how how it shakes up and how you take certain aspect, like how this game has like a hype meter during combat and like that's really cool. Yeah, it's an interesting t- take on a sort of combination of theme and genre that almost certainly doesn't exist yet. I don't want to say that with absolute certainty, but you know, if if this is something that really interests you, it is uh, slated to come out this summer. Uh, it's from an indie studio called Mega Cat, and we've got another preview up on the site. Scott was able to look at that, and I think he, unlike me, was really interested in the premise, and so he's kind of shared a lot of his enthusiasm in his little preview for WrestleQuest, also up on the site. And the last game that he was able to look at uh, at Paxi's, well, not the last game he was able to look at, but the last preview that he's gotten written up for the site right now is a game called Demio or Demio. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it. Now, this is a game that released last year as a VR title. However, now it'll be available for anyone with a PC in a in a non VR mode, and it's kind of like a tabletop RPG sort of VR focused game, though now it's playable non VR, which Obviously, VR uh, headsets or can be like expensive or some people just don't like the style of them or they don't like that style of game. So it's kind of cool that now it has an officially supported non-VR mode because I, I do know when games like um, Half-Life Alex came out, people were trying to create like modded uh, fan-made non-VR mode. So it's cool to see the developer kind of also go for that and kind of give you the option about which mode of the game you want to play. So uh, one thing I can't quite tell here is that is this non-VR mode already available or is it uh, coming out soon? Because It just came out in early access. So the game in VR is out. The non-VR mode is out in early access. And also it's the sort of thing where basically the games are like cross play cross progression to save and all that. So like you basically can play the same game in VR or not. That's fair. That's yeah. neat. Uh, I, th- I think that's really crucial for this kind of game because people who like previously, if you wanted to play this game, you need to have like multiple people with VR setups to play this. Now you can just like hop into a game. You don't have to like wait for like rely on people like, Hey, do you have a VR headset to play this game? Now you can just play play with people who like are giving it a shot. So it, it really helps like that VR community out for this game. Mm-hmm. And it might be instead of saying like, I don't know if I like VR, I'm not, I'm not sure if I want to invest in a headset or get the equipment. Now you'll be able to try a game and kind of get a feel for it and be like, okay, now I'm playing with people who are playing this game in VR. It's a way to kind of try it out and not just dive head in. If you're not a, like as much of an enthusiast as someone who's just like willing to take the risk that they might not enjoy it or something like that. So kind of a cool way to, to demo the tech or at least kind of get a feeling for what you might experience before diving in completely. Yeah, Scott really liked this, his time with Demio. Basically, it's like a tabletop experience, kind of like a, you know, a pen and paper sort of RPG adapted to a video game. So it does have like a single player skirmish mode, but it's really meant to be, you know, like played with two other players, I believe, um, as sort of a, uh, you know, like a campaign, uh, like a D&D campaign almost. 
uh, only as a PC game. And he said he really enjoyed it in his write up. So yeah, if you go to RPG site, not rpgsite.net and click articles his three previews at the time of recording are right near the top uh all from scott so go ahead and give those a read we've got symphony of war WrestleQuest, and the non-pc ver- sorry the non-vr pc version of demio as for games that we've been playing in absence of not attending pax east uh it's kind of a mixed bag we've mentioned that april has been a time for some of us to uh, play some of uh, the MMOs that we've been working on, some games in our backlog. I think Adam has been playing some games just like randomly out of a hat. That's what it feels like to me <laughs> from a distance. And then we did have a one release that we talked about and we introduced last week in the podcast that was the new RPG release of the week. And we'll probably just open with this one. And this is the new game in the Mana series, Echoes of Mana, which was announced during the series. Uh, what was it? Was it the 25th or the 30th anniversary event uh, a few months back? One of those big milestone anniversary events as the big mana game for this year and released last week and i do know that josh has at least started it and tried it out so i'll hand it off to josh and just ask you what your thoughts are about echoes of mana a big week for mana fans am i right uh so this is the the new entry as you mentioned in the mana series for mobile devices um echoes of mana this is uh sort of like it's your typical sort of like mobile entry into a into a like a long running series. So there's like a lot of it's pulling on a lot of like previous games to fill out its roster. So this has characters from second, the first three second second Densetsu games. It has uh, people from Children of Mana. It has people from Dawn of Mana. Sort of setup. It's a very basic setup. Is that you have you can choose between a male or female protagonist, and then their their default names are Kilito and Kilita. Uh, the Q, and you, you're sort of a kind of like a, a dimension hopper in a sense, and you, your like main hub is like this sanctuary of mana, like the the last mana tree, and you're and you're tasked with infiltrating echoes, which are like dimensions to other mana games, to find the mana sword. That we're not exactly sure yet in the story, like what they're trying to use the mana sword for. You know, like in most mana games, probably for like the restoration of the world and and so forth. It's kind of a weird one where. It has like an original like world like that's exclusive to Echoes of Mana, and then uh, after you like like complete like one part of that uh, early on, like you're, you're barely getting introduced to like hey like these are the other side characters to Echoes of Mana, and then there's also this um, mysterious dark armored almost like a dark knight almost who are who's like kind of like chasing you around, and you're not exactly sure what. Uh, their objective is but you know that they're just like the bad guy right now who's chasing after you and trying to make sure you don't get the mana sword so whenever you know when he shows up you can you have like this creature with you that's i forgot what it's called it's like a white fluffy creature that like helps you like dimension hop back into the sanctuary of mana like retreat because you can't take on that per person and then uh after like confirming okay in this echo we couldn't find the mana sword so let's go hop into like the secret of mana echo it's not like uh these echoes are very like bite-sized chunks of the games they're not like we're starting at the very beginning of trials of mana or secret of mana they're like very specific points of time in that game like when you go into trials of mana yeah you you meet up with Reese and then the later hawkeye and but it, it's not like starting from their stories like it's like somewhere in their journey. Like Reese has already gone off and tried to find her brother, and um, and and it's an ongoing storyline. It's not like from the very beginning of Reese's storyline. In uh, that, um, just like the Mana games, as you would expect, especially like uh, Trials of Mana, it's a action RPG. Um, 
you move around if you're playing on a mobile device you have to you move around with not not necessarily a a, a virtual joystick but you're still like kind of moving around by kind of that navigating your character just without without a joystick on the screen um and it's kind of like a, a like a 2.5d plane where you can like move like up and down left and right um on on this plane um and you can uh bring up to two other uh playable characters with you on the during battles but each of the each of the three characters with you can also have a sub character with them so you can have a grand total of six people with you when you deploy like a party um and then anytime you like swap characters they can swap to a sub character as well um on that Um, is this the first mobile game in the mana series Yes, I, want oh, to I think there's more. There was like Rise of Mana, and there was oh, I mean, like, are we talking about like 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 mobile or handheld? I think yeah, Rise I mean, of Mana was a browser game, wasn't it? Was it a browser game? I don't remember. It, it was a long time ago. I remember it was like Pores of Vita once or something. Oh no, it was mobile and Vita. <laughs> oh okay, yeah. I, I like. I thought, how I thought, I thought browser game too. I like how Chow can immediately be like, yeah, Rise of Mana released on iOS 2014, guys. Jeez, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on. No. Come on, guys. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I, yeah, I, 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 I also installed it too. Yeah. Say that again, Chow? I, I said I also installed uh, Echoes of Mana to give it a try as well. Didn't oh, really have you tried it yet? Too far. Yeah, oh, I, did. Okay. I, I got to like the third chapter. Yeah, um, so like, yeah, it, it has problems. I did, let me just like lay out like the, the gameplay uh, to, to get a better understanding. But yeah, it does. It's it is by no means perfect. Um, yeah, so as as you're going around the these stages. You have a, a an attack button at like the bottom right corner, and then you have uh, like a two skills per character. Like their first skill is usually offensive, and then their second skill is sometimes like a buff or a heal. So, so but it you know it it varies. That's not necessarily always true. Like like sumo from uh, Adventures of Mana or Final Fantasy Adventure um, has like uh both of his skills are are uh, supportive they're, they're not any attack skills one is like a defense buff and one is a heal um and uh aside from that aside from the attack button and the two two skills they also have like a, a special attack that they can use after after you charge it up after you know uh like attacking enemies so they have that like special like uh skill that they can cast on enemies and also, um, like a, a what was it called? Like a, a mega mana attack or something? I forget what it was called. There's like a spirit attack at the. What was it? There's one attack where you use a, a spirit, and there's this one like regular super attack. Yeah, the regular super attack, and then like the like the big ultimate attack where you like use three of the same move to like fill up uh, a one third of it, and then once all three like portions of it are filled like a pizza, then you can use that like ultimate like big big skill um on that but the stages aren't like uh, they're sectioned off into like certain sections like you you go into the stage there are enemies to defeat um after you you defeat them you go into the next section you go defeat enemies until you go to the next section until there's like a boss room um there will be special like scout stages where it's almost like uh try to emulate a mana dungeon uh where like for example, like they have the the trials of mana. Um, what was the mountain called? Um, they they had that puzzle from uh, trials of mana where like that you had like those blockheads who spew wind, and then you have to like use devices to like uh, manipulate where those blockheads are 
are facing so you can go past where they were trying to block with the wind. It's um, called the Gust Hall. Thank you, the Gust Hall. Um, they, they do have something, you know, a stage that has that. Um, they also have that, um, that, that forest where you don't know where you had to go. And if you went into the wrong way in that forest, you would get teleported back to the beginning. So you had to go, like, follow, like, the little, like, sparkly um, exits in that, in that forest to, like, proceed on. And if you uh, diverge from the path, you would start back from square one. Um, I forgot what that was called as well, but it was it was also in in trials. Well, they have some some stages that you know evoke some of the puzzles you may experience in, in the previous Mana games. I think this game would be like decent if like it was more responsive. I I, I don't know how, about you, Chow, but like without when I like play this game, I'm like, man, this could be really cool if it like if it just if the technical performance was better and like the the button actions like the, like your inputs were more responsive are you playing on semi auto mode or are you playing manual mode or auto mode that's a question uh, so i i i've i've uh experimented with all of them like full auto mode is what you would expect so it has three like auto modes um full auto is like the game just plays itself for you and then you know your typical um like full manual mode or just manual mode is um if like you press attack at like away from the enemy it'll just attack right there where you are on the spot same thing with skills and then semi-auto mode is you get in range of the where you could like reach the enemy with an attacker skill and it'll do that for you like it'll it'll get you into the right range to to uh execute your uh attack and hit the enemy and go, go for a try. I, I hate to make comparisons, but it, it's like a Tails game. You know, there's a semi-auto in Tails games where you just kind of run up to the enemy just like the same way it does. But yeah, uh, the controls isn't exactly the most responsive. But uh, one way I look at the game is this is a 2D Dragalia loss, guys. It's <laughs> 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 like so you got the same grinding structures. You have to grind these spirit coins, upgrade your characters. You got like all this thing. It's like, it's just so it's, it's like it's a little it's like it, in some ways yes it is like dragalia in the sense that it you it definitely oh yeah there i forgot to mention there's an evade button as well so you can actually just like in the middle of an attack stream tap evade and then you'll yeah evade out it's there and there's uh, like enemy line of sight that does special attacks you know yeah like you know when you're going against boss battles they'll have like the the zones where they're about to attack and then you have to get out of there but it it really like i wish it was more like tactical like dragalia loss like it is like in like normal difficulty but once you start getting to hard and like harder stages and like very hard stages it becomes more of like a dps check of like you're you're gonna win it or not and your ai is like just fucking dumb like no matter what preset ai you can use for them because like there are you can actually like manipulate like ai behavior in their status screens like well balanced uh healer or uh, all-out attack or and like it's supposed to like you know make a difference on like how they're supposed to act, but the but the AI will always like you know stand in like zones where they're not supposed to when the enemy's about to attack. It's hard to like rely on them to kind of keep themselves alive, even if you put them like in a in an AI behavior mode where like they're supposed to like back off and uh, try not to be as aggressive to preserve their own HP. Um, no, none of that. It barely makes a difference there. They're just going to be really dumb, and you either have to just accept that they're just going to die in battle, or um, 
try to be a god and like manipulate their their positions right before an enemy attack is fired which is they don't give you much time to do that at uh you know harder stages and ai is just just a joke in that game like that's why i prefer playing ranged i'm just like you know at least i can i can control like how i want to my my angle of approach and be relatively safe so at least i know i'm doing my job uh and then the ai is just doing living in their own fantasy world um, um you know what it, it's following the trials of mana structure okay if you ever played the trials of mana remake you can play this game perfectly but the game is hard in some ways it's because the ai keep dying <laughs> and so you're the only guy alive because you're actually dodging shit the yeah, AI yeah, just yeah. Dodge it. Uh, yeah and I, I wish more games would like just adopt like a system where like hey if you're not you're if you're not the active uh playable character like let's say you switch to a character i would hope that like the game is smart enough to at least like buff like the defense of like the people that you're not playing or at least like make them less aggressive or make them like take very little damage if you're not controlling them if the ai is going to be that dumb instead of like you just still suffering full penalties for just not controlling them period yeah and they could balance that by having them do like less damage or whatever but having two ai partners that don't deal a lot of damage, but they stay upright. This probably feels better than just having them dead on the floor for the whole fight. Yeah. So a lot of action RPGs commit this sin, and I don't know why people haven't figured it out yet. Uh, so but, I'm going to ask know, some basic high-level questions. Like, you mentioned that you, you pick the uh, the two protagonists. You pick either the male or female version of the original character. Does Is there, like, an original cast as well beyond that, or is it just yes. you immediately yeah, go right. into uh, getting the uh crossover characters from the different uh realms or whatever it um it, it starts off with like the original like story of like hey you're well the tutorial uh the tutorial has you like helping out hawkeye bust out of prison and then like uh and then like the tutorial boss fight is like the three big faces uh from trials of mana like when you're, when you're at that platform there's like big three heads and the every dark uh, mana beast yeah they have different names in the translation remake. I forgot what they're called. Yeah, um, but then like a- after that initial tutorial, um, you're introduced to like you're kind of put into this like starter area where you kind of meet these new characters in the Mana series, like Honeycomb, and then I forgot like the the girl. I think the girl's name was Duffy, I think. I hope. Duffy, yeah, Duffy. And they're, they're your typical, like, oh, you know, uh, you, we barely met you, but I think we should get along. And, uh, like, uh, what are you trying to look for? Um, you know, you kind of save them from trouble, and then they assist you in your adventures. Um, but it's a, it's a really, really basic story. The, the, nothing really complicated about it early on. Um, so it does have well, its original Well, the whole, the whole story premise, when you the way you described it earlier... With the echoes part, it just basically seems like it's a crossover game, which is fine. Yeah. But it, yeah. like it's not, it's not as. Like I would ask another basic high level question: like if I'm interested in a new entry in the Mana series, is this quite it, or is this more of a, um, just like a more of a series celebration? Uh, crossover it's more of a series game? celebration. Uh, I go with yeah. the latter, but yeah. it's, if it's there's not a series to recommend. I would suggest Trials of Mana remake as a as a first entry or something like that. Me too. Yeah, that's which uh, is also this, available this, on mobile. Or there's definitely more for the mana mana fans. I don't think there's a great entry point into the mana series, uh, really. I mean, you'll you and then for mana fans, you know, you'll they'll, they'll enjoy like parts of it where like I think there's a new a new event that uh, went live on it where you know you do have um, the uh, second that sets to one, two, and three uh, character like the main 
heroes kind of meet up for a tournament arc uh, story and uh, that, but it's not really, you know, I, I don't think newcomers to the monasteries will really get anything out of it, especially because the game is just like, it's just so, it's lackluster, I, I want to say, because on top of like just unresponsiveness and like the controls and like the and the frame rate not even like holding up like the technical performance especially for an action rpg that you like you want to like be more proactive during like dangerous like stages like sometimes it'll just like dip randomly sometimes it'll just you know it, it won't perform to like how you want it to perform for an action rpg it's not smooth at all um and even then like outside of battle like going through all like menus in that game kind of sucks because there's always like 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 a small loading screen in between like every portion of the game that you're trying to get to which is really annoying and it it i don't know why it, it's not a smoother experience because it's not i don't think it's a really tax uh taxing game graphically you know i, I don't think i experienced that in my end then again i i, I have a decent phone so i mean yeah oh, wow. I'm, I'm on yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fucked up. I mean, I, I'm on Android, but and I'm also uh, I'm, I'm yeah. playing on iPhone 13. So. Yeah, so maybe it's better on iPhone, you know. But I I've been, I tested on Android. It's uh, like a BlueStacks emulator, um, and you know, it's not as smooth as I would want it to be. Maybe iPhone is different. I'm not sure, but um, it it should be a better experience to like navigate around that game, and it really isn't. Um, as for you know, some mobile game, there's a gotcha element to it. Um, you you do gotcha for characters in that game, and so like start starting out like your the the featured banner right now off the get goes like a uh, uh, SSR Reese and Duran from Trials of Mana, but you can all there's also SSRs for like um, Popoi from Secret of Mana, uh, Sumo from Adventures of Mana, Shilo from what was Shilo from was it Don? Uh, Shiloh is the it's, Legend of Mana. Legend of Mana, right. Yeah, Legend of Mana. And um, I've played uh, uh, and uh, Reese and uh, Angela. Um, so they don't have like all the entire cast for like a lot of the Mana games there. They used to, you do get some representation like the, the lower rarities um, for, for them, but like not everyone has an SSR version. Um, so you do have that. You also in the same thing when you roll uh, on gotcha banners, it's not just for characters; it's also for equipped cards, uh, and you know how that goes, where um, you know higher rarity equipped cards will give you more stats and probably have more powerful effects. It's kind um, of weird. Not maybe not weird, but uh, I had that like two week run where I was playing near reincarnation, and I'm like nodding my head, like yeah. Yep, I've I've experienced yeah. this in my short uh-huh. little window into this. Yep. Yeah, I didn't yeah, really enjoy right. it. Did you? Did you mention there was pity as well, Josh? I didn't mention there was pity. I was I was describing the gotcha banners, but yeah, I mean for, for people who play these games, there's a, a pity system where um, after twenty ten rolls, so two hundred rolls, uh, if you you can uh, choose uh, one of the banner units. Um, uh, if you do, if you end up ended up not um rolling them so there's that though um i don't i don't think it'll, you'll it, it's not necessarily an easy pity to get uh if you unless you're really really saving up the the rates for this game are like three percent uh for ssr characters but they're divided up so it's like uh, in that three percent uh if you roll an ssr 
you'll have it's uh, there's a 1.5 percent chance to, for it to either be the banner or the raid up unit or be off banner so it's like 50 50 split um on that uh, raid up but uh other than that you know it's like there are like elements of mana throughout like the whole progression system of that game down to like you have like different currencies to like level up every single like stat of a character you can level up their hp their mana their strength their uh intelligence their spirit their um constitution or defense so like so it's like you can level up their physical dps ma- ma- uh, in magic dps uh physical defense magic defense luck um obviously you know not not every character will benefit from like a stat so say like duran he's a physical attacker so like you'll definitely want to focus on like leveling up his strength and his hp uh first because you want him to do more damage more so than like you want to uh, raise his like intelligence you know so there is like choices you make and how you progress characters but you know they all they all consume mats that you have to grind for in dailies uh and and so on so the and also like the more you use like a, a certain type of uh weapon in battle so let's say i i'm I'm using a party of like Duran, Angela, and Popoy. Um, Angela uses a staff. Popoy uses a boomerang. And add, the more you use these characters, the more you're leveling up like your weapon skill with them. And that's just like a profile thing, uh, a player account thing, where you get like passive buffs the more you uh, you you play with them. So like uh, so sometimes after you complete a stage, you say sword skill level uh, uh, level up, uh, staff skill level up, boomerang skill level up, and that's just adding like more like passive like damage bonuses to your account over time because you're playing more more with that uh, weapon uh, during combat. So the weapon thing you mentioned basically sounds like uh, Secret of Mana and a yes. few other games mm-hmm. where you know you had several weapons to choose from and you basically power them up through exercise use. And then the stat thing you mentioned sounds similar to uh, Trials of Mana, yes, uh, or Second Densetsu Three, and hopefully, like the agility stat isn't completely just busted. But, uh, but, but <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, there is there is no agility stat. Uh, uh, I'm there. trying to remember. I think in the original Second Densetsu Three, if I remember correctly, one stat was completely just like glitched and didn't do anything. And I think it was agility, uh, it was <laughs> agility and luck. So your characters can never crit making Hawkeye one of the worst characters in the game because he's supposed <laughs> to rely on crits. And uh, there's a fan patch that apparently fixed this bug and they supposedly rebalanced the game around it or something. But I'm not sure if he would go for the game again trying something out like that. But, I mean, that's just a, you know, a very basic overview of uh, Echoes of Mana. Uh, it's... I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to stick with it, to be honest. Like, I, I, I've i played a fair bit of it, and, uh, like, I've almost, like, completed almost all the content that's available for it at the moment. Um, but it's, like, it's not really interesting. There's not really, a, like, a, a hook to it. Oh, that reminds me. This is, all, this is also, like, one of those most devious things you can do in, like, a fucking mobile game, but, like, it, it works. Um... There's like a, a an armor system in the, in this as well, and you can grind for armor, and all the armor has like rarities. So you can grind, so you know harder harder uh, armor daily stages, and harder like 
main story stages will have uh, will drop higher rarities of that armor and that armor every time it drops it has randomized stats as a randomized base stat and a randomized uh sub stats to it so let's say go for it now just this just reminds me of the whole reason i like dropped uh fire emblem heroes so quickly is when i found out oh it's not enough that you get the five star pull. You have to mm-hmm. hope that it has the right like Pokemon like IVs or some shit like that or nature. And it's like that's well, just that's uh, to too make much. It worse, it's actually one of the worst. You actually need ten ex- extra dupes to make that character perfect or competitive for PvP. <laughs> it's awful. Yeah, for, for for Fire Emblem Heroes. Yeah. Oh man, you're reminding me of dupes. How dupes are, are are in this game. Okay, so so with the with the with the armor and accessory system in this game. You know, there'll be stages where you can where you can drop armor and there'll be stages where you can drop accessories. Um each of the each armor and accessory in the game is part of like a set. Like you're, you're you can construct like a matching set, like three pieces of armor, like the Valsena set. Like uh, an ar- a Valsena helmet, a Valsena like gauntlets, uh and, and a Valsena armor piece. Like if you equip them all, um you'll get the the three set bonus of like eighteen uh, percent the uh, bo- boost to strength and that's that's a lot that's good uh you would want that on someone like, like duran for example because he would get a lot of a lot of attack out of it but each of these uh individual like armor p- uh, uh, armor pieces to that valsena set when they drop not only could they have like either like you know uh, randomized rarity on, but you can like you know you can tackle higher difficulty stages for like a, a four star or five star drop but like when they drop like they could have their base stat could be anything. It could be like uh defense plus eighteen or our defense plus one point eight percent. Um and you know, and usually when you want the when you're trying to min max something, you would want the percent rather than the base flatline um like you know, additive to it. Basically they took the was it the gotcha equipment system from Seminar Wars or Epic Seven yeah, yeah. impact. So, <laughs> and, 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 then, and then higher rarity armor, like say like that that same like armor piece that I'm mentioning. So let's say it has like a, a ba- like a, its base stat is like defense plus one point eight percent or like constitution for physical defense. And then if it's like uh, the higher rarity it is, the 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 higher uh the more slots it has for bonus stats on it. So like aside from that, you'd have like bonus stats like strength plus one point five percent, spirit plus eighteen, um, intelligence plus um three percent. And then uh as you level it up, this uh the, this uh armor piece, like it uh, at certain uh breakpoints as you're leveling it, it'll add random bonus stats to that. So like it can add so like say I get it to like level four and level eight at the level four uh breakpoint it may add like um intelligence plus twenty-five, uh which is totally separate separate from the intelligence plus one point eight percent bonus stat, or and then like and then at the level eight breakthrough uh of that armor piece, it could add like another like seven percent to the, the plus three strength that, that was previously mentioned on that. So, I, I hate that system to be honest. Equipment system is totally fucked in this game in the long term because that is it is highly reliant on RNG, uh, not only in what what dro- not 
not only in what rarity it drops at the higher stages, it, it's also RNG on what the the ba- what the stats on it are gonna be. And it's also RNG on like what the what bonus stats you're gonna get as you're leveling it. <laughs> uh, you know why I find this system hilarious though? What people uh, people defend it in Genshin Impact that it's okay, but people ridicule it in Epic Seven. <laughs> and the only reason they ridicule it in Epic Seven because there is a PvP system. So because there's no PvP in this game, I don't think people will ridicule it as hard. Yeah, I, I yeah, you, you do have a point. Like maybe who knows? They haven't added PvP. I don't know if they have any. Um, plans to add pvp i'm not sure there is a co-op system in this game so you can like you know go into a room with like uh two other people and um use your but you can have a one party of three characters that you switch between uh in co-op rooms and then the that the same is true for the other people they can have a party of three and then you know, you, you work together to go uh tackle the the stage that's fairly simplistic in that and but yeah, who knows how that's gonna shake up? Uh, at the moment, it's like, oh, that's a that's a fucking abyss right there. That's just nasty. And and uh, lastly, uh, since you reminded me, Chow, of how dupes are handled in this game, um, it's weird because there are three ways to like power up your character aside from like leveling them up with tomes and through the stat system um, that that I uh, that I mentioned earlier. But like, there's three ways to like progress them after they've like been powered up. You can increase their stars. So let's say uh, I roll a four star Duran. If I want to get him to five stars, I would have to roll. Okay, let's back up. It says either or. Um, I would either have to roll uh, other five star characters, and I could use those as like ingredients to feed into it for the five star which is really bad and no one should ever fucking do that but it is definitely an option if they if they want to do that or the the game does give out like items or like uh like separate like item cards that are like four star rarity and then all and their their main function is to be like that fodder to like rank up to five star um, a lot of gotcha games share this system. I I would say it. Uh, what was example? I think Azure Lane or something like that, where you get like a little fodder piece to to rank up your character. Uh, yeah. I think the fodder item is a uh, it's called the Bolivian figure, which is a statue of Flamey. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Vanilla, yeah, Vanilla Dawn icon or something. Yeah, so so like you can use that. It, it's the same thing for like three star characters. Like you, if you want to rank them up to four star. You would use like three star benevoladon icons to use as fodder to rank them up to four star. So you can you can use dupes that way. And I'm sure like if you know when you roll more like two re- lower rarity dupes and you have no use for them, you can probably start using them as fodder for that. Um, you can also the primary use of dupes though is through um, I think it's called there's ascending, which is getting the rarity up. Then there's unleashing. Unleashing is where you actually use dupes of like the same exact characters. So let's say I rolled another four-star Duran. I would use that as fodder to unleash him, and that'll uh, boost his uh, stats and like and the effectiveness of his skills. I find um, it also raises a level cap. I see like a pus icon on the on the character. I, I think I think uh, the, the the ascending raises the level cap, but then uh, but the plus one plus two you get uh, you see on the on a character icon. That's like when you fed dupes into them. I don't. I don't know if it like if, if uh, unleashing also raises the level count. It might. It might. 
Uh, I'm I'm forgetting, but I, I definitely know ascending does. Um, and then once you've uh, once you finally built up a character as much as they can be built up uh, after you've unlocked all their mana boards for their stats, after you've uh, max ascended this person, you can finally uh, use another feature called awakening on them to basically get them uh, from level 99 to level 100 and get their, their final six star. Uh, and then you can have a six star character uh, there. And that, that's like uh, the, their maximum, like you built up that character as much as you can uh, at that point. On top, you know, this is totally separate from like optimizing their equipment and everything too. Um, and then I, I assume like the, the meta game, like in the long term, will be like you you'll want to have the like like ascend like lower characters like uh lower rarity characters like say two star to three star and then like maybe you raise you ascend them again uh, from three star to four star and then use that as fodder for your native four star characters you know and it'll it'll just be a fucking mess and abyss of like fucking gotcha boba gay as like you know character progression systems there's just like an endless black hole at that point um yeah, I can see the red flags coming. I mean, there's already people leaving like bad Google reviews because of it because they can see it's, it. It's dude, yeah, it's I I don't know. And this is this was made by uh, Red Flyer Studios. Uh, this is the, the creators of Another Eden, um, the the Machi uh, mobile game like Memoria Freeze, um, Heaven Burns Red when they worked with Key, um, and they have, there they they developed other other gacha games. So I mean, they're experienced, but I think. I don't know. Like that right now, like it it it's fine like when you're like kinda at the very beginning you're you you do not know much, but once you start really digging into like, oh, this is what the actual like end game looks like, and it's just like the fucking hell of like optimizing equipment and like praying for RNG to not fuck you. It's just like, oh god, dude. There wasn't is... there wasn't so much RNG, but that's kinda how I felt when I could kind of see how it fit together for near reincarnation. That's when I was like, Yeah, okay, I've had my fill. I'm not and the story there wasn't enough to carry me. And I kind of feel like the slice of player that would be interested in Echoes of Mana is like the person waiting for the next mana game who's already played Trials of Mana, who's already played the Legend of Mana remake last last year. Or the remaster, I mean. Uh and this game seems like it's kind of feature filled and has plenty to do if you get into it but the person that's into it i don't know as someone who has only played a little bit of secret amana growing up like i'm like uh, if i want to play another mana game i'm gonna play legend of mana or i'm gonna play uh trials of mana before getting into this yeah yeah i i'm not really sure i don't know i don't know what the what the lifespan of this game looks like um i i i don't know how long it'll last because square enix is very they're very inconsistent with like how yeah. they, how they against perform because like stuff I like Dragon Quest. Go for it. Sorry, I was convinced like after uh, Star Ocean's uh, mobile game that uh, Romancing Saga Universe would have been dead within a year, and it's been what two years now since it went up. Which yeah. it seems to be doing all right. I think you, you know better Saga than I am. Has a very good following in Japan, but I'm not sure the global. I, I dropped the game pretty early. If, if, they, if, if the global servers are also extended to Asia, maybe Asia is like keeping that game, the global version alive. I'm not. I'm not exactly sure if the global version, like the English version, shares like it's the same client with Asia. If if they are, then 
I think they're probably in good hands because even if like the English version may not be performing up to up to par, maybe like the the Asian audience is. So actually, um, I think I remember reading that one of the main reasons that they've kept it alive. Well, maybe they didn't say it that way, but it's because they've been con- pretty consistently having those saga remasters coming out. And maybe the thought process is, well, we might as well keep it alive because we can just take the opportunity. Hey, there's a new saga remaster coming out. We can just like have a renewed push for the mobile game because, hey, it's like can kind of feed into both. Releases. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, because you can have like marketing campaigns of like, hey, like, you know, like say a new saga remaster is coming out. You can have like a, a campaign in the in the mobile game that says, oh, you'll get log in. You know, to celebrate like you know that the the upcoming release of this remaster, you know. So maybe that's it, and yeah, and that's yeah, then we can we can go back to Adam's favorite uh, idiom. I don't know if that's the right word, but like the mobile game being the tail wagging the dog, or just like get get your stable population of the people who stay up to date on all the the service game or the mobile game, and then use that to advertise. Hey, we've got a new saga remaster or whatever coming out, and now you can we have a we have a new banner for them. You also you should play the new game too, or or whatever. I, I think I think Echoes of Mana as it, it stands right now, I don't think it's sustainable in the long term. I think they'll have to like they'll definitely have to like tweak things as they start learning. Okay, what, okay. Will Will we'll Echoes audience. of Mana? Because during the thirtieth, by the way, I looked it up. It was the thirtieth anniversary uh, event uh, a year or so ago that announced Echoes of Mana, the anime, and that they're working on a new Mana game. Do you think Echoes of Mana will survive until the next mainline Mana game? Yeah. I think I okay. think definitely I think I think because I don't think the next Mana game is like super far off. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, they can that, always that, do that, a remaster of Dawn of Mana. Takes no yeah. effort. Yeah, I mean that, that's what that's what I think. I think the next mainline Mana game isn't like I don't think it's like a decade away or anything. I think we're maybe seeing like three to four years. At most. Gotcha. Yeah, that's that's my that's my gut feeling, but I, I I'm not sure like. I think that, I think this this game will stay up for a few a few years. I have no idea unless they unless they really turn the game around at the moment. I don't I don't foresee it um, being too successful until they really get their shit together. No, thank you for your impressions of Echoes of Mana. Uh, it sounds like it's got a lot going for it, even though you kind of have to know what you're getting into with gacha games. And some people like me who have learned that that's not for them are be like, all right, we'll just wait for the next uh, next entry. But if you have already if you're up to date with the series and you just kind of want something that kind of celebrates what it is so far and yep. The future of it maybe it's uh, something that you want to spend some time with just to see and check it out adam i know for the last couple of weeks you've been uh in the middle of some life things some moves and some uh, uh been availability has been a bit spotty but in the t- in the gaps i know that you've been working on kind of like backlog ish games that you've been wanting to play through but haven't had a good excuse to until now and it seems like every day i check our our little staff discord and you're playing something different from the original metroid to some other games uh the yeast games that you talked about a few weeks ago on the podcast uh and it looks like you've got listed here that you have decided to play the original two zelda games which are games that i have not played even though i've played pretty much every other game in the series our zelda games rpgs kind of not really but we do talk about them here on the site because who's going to stop us adam i kind of want to hear about your experience Experience, having gone back to play uh, The Legend of Zelda and The Adventure of Link. Yeah, so I'm in the middle of a move. So right now I'm in like a temporary apartment as I wait for my stuff to arrive to my new apartment. So I don't have like my PC set up or my console set up, but I do have uh, my handheld on me. So I have uh, my 3DS. And my 3DS, I have, you know, a bunch of uh, virtual console eShop games on it. 
some of those being some of the, the NES uh, or Game Boy era games that they had on the virtual console. So I just kind of figured, just like you said, I played almost every Zelda game, but I hadn't played the original the original two on NES, The Legend of Zelda and then Zelda 2 Adventure of Link. So I just kind of figured I've been meaning to get to, to them for a while. I have them available to me right now and a lot of my other games are not. So why not play them? And based uh, actually on your comment that Zelda games aren't, aren't RPGs, oddly enough, the second Zelda game, Adventure yeah. Link, definitely is. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like out of the entire series. And I, and I already knew this before playing it just from Osmosis. But it, out of the entire Zelda series, it is the most RPG out of any of them. Like easily. You have EXP. Uh, you have grinding, <laughs> you have random battles in a sense. Even so more of an than Breath of the Wild. You can you can grind in a Zelda game. Yep, yes. you need to gain EXP to get you, stats. You, you also you also needed like pretty much a, a, at this point a strategy or a strategy guide to get through Zelda too. Yeah, so starting with the original game, uh, actually how I'll start this is uh, I'm a pretty big fan of games like Link's Awakening and the Oracle games, which were on Game Boy in Game Boy Color. And it's very clear and very obvious that they basically are like molded from the style of the original game in terms of, you know, how the combat works, how the exploration works, how the menus and items and equipment works. Obviously those games are more polished, uh, maybe a little bit more quality of life than the original um, and maybe a little bit more guided, but it's a similar style of game. So playing the original Legend of Zelda, I was actually enjoying it quite a bit. I was kind of following just like a, a bare bones guy to kind of help me like know where to go because the original Zelda gives you basically no direction. You are basically plopped on the world map and you can go in any direction. There's really not very much dialogue at all. The only dialogue in the game is occasionally in caves or in the dungeons, you'll run into like an old man who just gives you like a really vague clue, like go behind the waterfall or something like that. And um, so otherwise, you pretty much just wander and explore to find here's the here's level one and here's level two. And you, you kind of just find them on your own. And um, so it's that sort of game where you just kind of have to pick a direction and go in it and see what you can find. But otherwise, it plays pretty similarly to like the games I mentioned, Link's Awakening uh, and the Oracle games on Game Boy in terms of you have your sword ability on one button and then your other button is like your boomerang or your bombs or whatnot. And I, so playing on the 3DS, you do get the save states, which I abused a bit. Um, We're like going through a dungeon. If, you know, sometimes you run into a room that's a little bit like a more like a trap uh, and have just, it's like a monster house almost where you just get, you know, surrounded by a bunch of enemies it's actually pretty pretty darn tough and so things like that um are pop up here and there in terms of like balancing but otherwise it's just a pretty straightforward game with a pretty simple uh concept in terms of what you need to do and it's not really surprising to me after playing it like this came out in what 1986 that this was one of the most popular games on nes it's like very apparent why that would be the case the one thing about it that kind of soured me on it a, a little bit, and you don't really see this in later games, is in the second half of The Legend of Zelda, the dungeons there. So the dungeons in these Zelda games, they're very um, 
compact. Like the rooms are like right next to each other in terms of the in terms of the map. So you have like like imagine like the last dungeon in the game is almost like a like a I think it's like a ten by ten grid where every block on that grid is a room. And sometimes or I should say oftentimes there's a lot of rooms that you can only get to by bombing a wall. There are so many just rooms that are basically inaccessible until you bomb a wall, way more so than like Link's Awakening or uh, Link to the Past or whatnot. So I kind of found myself uh, originally just like bombing every wall to see, is there a room here? Is there a room here? And then eventually I just kind of followed a guide like, okay, where are these bombable walls? Because there's just so many uh, and I didn't want to waste all my bombs. And so that was uh, one of those things. I have that... to ask, can you, did, did this game still have the different sound if you hit it with your sword or no? No, it doesn't. Oh. <laughs> At least I'm pretty sure it doesn't. No, I don't think so. <laughs> no, like, so check. Yes, it, it was just like, why are there so many of these? And also in the dungeons, I feel like in later games and these 2D Zeldas, every room in a dungeon has like a pretty clear purpose to like why that room is there whether it like houses a, a small key or the compass or maybe just like a, a chest full of a lot of rupees um, or maybe it's just a room to get from one room to the other. But in the original game, there are a lot of rooms, especially in the later dungeons that like, like for example, you're at like a fork in the path, like, Oh, I can go up or I can go right. And if you go up, like I mentioned before, it's just like a room uh, with like a bunch of enemies in it. And then you beat them all. And it can sometimes be kind of tough to like do that without getting a lot of damage. And then you're like, your, your reward is, three bombs it's like oh thanks <laughs> so there's a lot of like dead ends like that where it's just you know there's really no point to going into this into this room um and so i feel like later the games point was the journey you survived you ex- you had a thrilling combat encounter and you got three yeah, bombs. So, so yeah so in terms of like dungeon design it's sort of these three things it's like you have these dungeons that are like gridded in a way I, th- I feel like later games do a better job. Like when you look at a map, you can see like where the paths in the dungeon are and whatnot. Where in this game, it's almost just like like a spreadsheet, like or a, a graph paper, where it's just you know ten by ten. The rooms are just all like kitty corner next to each other, and um, so like the dungeons themselves are not like you know they're just kind of very basic. There's are they too many bubble walls? Uh, there's just like different color shades. Like this dungeon is green, and this dungeon is orange. <laughs> Uh, which you know is NES, so yeah, that's fine. sure. Uh, and then like the the there's a lot, especially in the later dungeons, a lot of just like dead ends where it's just like you're you go into this room, you beat a bunch of enemies, you get some like you either get like five rupees or a bomb, and it's like that's it. That was the point of this room, and you could have just ignored it. Um, and yeah, but I think the the strength of the game is the overworld. Really, I mean, the dungeons are besides small complaints later on, like early on and otherwise. Um, you know, are obviously fun and you get different items to progress through different spots of the game. But I think like the overworld is kind of the, uh, you know, the seminal part of this game in terms of um, exploring through a game. It's not like level based, like a lot of NES games are in terms of wandering secrets, dungeons, things like that. So moving on to the second game, Adventure of Link. I don't, I, the, the original Legend of Zelda, I don't think is that, difficult it's tricky in a a way but there's plenty of opportunities to heal yourself uh and to like you know get around if you if you need to but the second game adventure link is like legitimately hard and i don't necessarily mean that as like a failure of game design it just does not give you a lot of room for error 
primarily the game is very hard to like heal yourself. There's not a very many ways to heal. So you only have like five blocks of health or whatever and different attacks to different amounts of damage. But like if you're going through a dungeon area, you basically want to avoid as much damage as possible because you just, it's just so hard to find places or ways to heal. So like every little nick that you might take into some, from some random enemy, which can sometimes be hard to avoid, can be like deadly. It's like, oh shoot, this guy hit me and now I only am down to four blocks of health for the, for the next several rooms. And so it's just, you have to be extremely careful in how you play the game. I guess I should mention, um, if you're not aware, Adventure Link is a side-scroller. It's the only game in the series that's a side-scroller. Uh, so pretty typical of side-scroller RPGs. You know, you can jump, you can dodge, you can uh, duck, uh, attack uh, in the air or while ducking. Uh, eventually, like partway through the game, you get the ability to like jump and like stab upwards or downwards in the air. You get certain magic in the game. Like eventually you get a magic where you can shoot a fireball from your sword or you get a magic that basically is a, a shield that makes you take less damage, which is actually one of the most useful spells in the game. But it's a side scroller RPG. The, the thing is, is like I feel like Link's sword is really short, so you have to get like pretty darn close to the enemies to be able to hit them. But of course, the closer you get, the more likely you are to get hit. So just, it's, it's just kind of amusing. You have to get like so close to stab them with your like puny sword. Yeah, a uh, knife, dude. Honestly. Yeah, it's pretty much a knife. <laughs> yeah, it looks uh, like a pocket knife to me. Uh, and you have an overworld in this game, uh, even though it's a side scroller. It looks it's it's kind of like a typical JRPG overworld, right? Like you leave the town in town. It's like a side scroller. You know, you run left or right from building to building. Uh, each town has a place you can heal your HP and magic. Um, but like the dungeons don't, but like you leave the town and then you're like on an overworld, like a classic, like dragon quest game or whatever. And then like on the overworld, you can find like enemies that you can run into. It's not random battles. I think I might've said random battles before, but like, you run into the overworld and a couple of icons appear and they move pretty fast and they're kind of hard to dodge. And then you like, if you run into them, you basically run into like a mini like battle screen, almost like an R- I mean, pretty much like an RPG where you fight off, you know, three or four random enemies. Uh, again, almost like, like a, like a star ocean game or something like the original star ocean. Um, but it's, you gain experience points for beating enemies and when you gain experience, you can level up your attack, your defense, or your magic. So it it is an RPG, like from every definition you could possibly want, uh, except for like choice. But it, it's an NES game. But yeah, this game is one of those games where if I had like a counter of how many uh, save states I used, I'd be embarrassed. It's probably like a hundred. <laughs> uh, it, it I so- I played Fire Emblem Four and probably used several hundred save states. So. It's the sort of thing where it's just like I'm in a you're so like one of the hardest parts of the game. Actually, I'll just pretty obvious. One of the hardest parts of the game is the last dungeon. But before you even get to the last dungeon, you kind of have like this like trial like through this valley that has like a lot of enemies that are hard to damage or hard to dodge, hard to damage that are just difficult. And so like I basically go into a room and be like save state. All right, let's see if I can get through this room without taking damage. And if I like took a hit, I'd be like reload, <laughs> get through the room again because because health is like a premium here very hard to heal and so um i think it's the sort of game where if you took your if you were taking your time with it and like uh when because if you die you basically start over from like the very beginning of the game and have to like work your way back so like 
you could slowly learn a room and the best pass through it. And then if you failed, you'd have to basically start from the beginning and work your all the way, all the way back. So it's kind of like from the very beginning of the game, um, there's no real like warp system or, at all. So it could get a little tedious. So I basically just avoided that by doing save states, but yeah, it, it earns its reputation for being difficult. Um, I otherwise enjoyed it, but it is the sort of thing where like it would, would have been a lot more frustrating and a lot more time consuming had I played it like on an actual NES so, but otherwise, I'm glad I played it. I can now say I think I've played every mainline Zelda game except Triforce Heroes, if that counts. <laughs> Have you played was, a Four Swords Adventure? Yes, I've played the uh, GameCube version as well as the, uh, what was it? There's like a, a handheld version. It was like a Game Boy Advance. There are two, there are two different uh, games. There's Zelda yeah, Four Swords for the games. Game Boy advance and then four swords adventure for the gamecube yeah i played both so yeah and technically four swords on the game boy advance isn't even its own game it was like just an additional like pack-in with the game boy advance version of link to the past yeah yeah that's right it did get a re-release on a dsi which was a full remake which was free and then it was it's weird it's like I, i guess it's like lost media now because you can't download it and you never will be able to again that's interesting uh adam one last question uh this might seem a little bit weird but does the does the 3ds virtual console version of these games does it give you like an ability to look at the original manual for it or no i don't think so but i just want to check i i don't think so i don't know the only only reason i ask is because like I'm just like the story for those games, if I recall correctly, was just usually a couple pages in the manual was where you'd get most of it. Right. So I just wondered if that like was that was preserved in that way or not. I I don't think so, but then again, I don't I didn't really like look. So all right, no, that's fine. I was just curious. But yeah, no, really, like the game that I played this last week is probably less of an RPG than a <laughs> Adventure of Link. I guess I'll just segue into that. But no, I think it's really cool that you had the opportunity to uh, play some games. Like you said, you're like, well, I got my 3DS and I got these DSI ga- or these uh, virtual console games. Might as well uh, play them while I, I have the chance. So cool to hear about uh, your experience with the original Legend of Zelda and the Adventure Link. So last week I talked a little bit about Weird West and I know it's a game that not a lot of people are interested in and it probably doesn't. I kind of talked about how I was struggling with the game mainly because I didn't agree with its the way that its itemization worked. About if anyone listened to last week's episode of the podcast, I I had started Weird West. I was a few hours into it. Um, this is kind of an immersive sim slash CRPG game that released late in March. And the thing that I didn't like about it is that how almost all progression was tied to these items that you found in the overworld that either gave you perks or abilities. Abilities. Yeah, are I, remember, like, I remember watching you and you were just in some like random Wild West town, went to some random building, walked up to the second floor, opened a random cupboard. And then there's like, oh, here's one of these perk things. And it's just that's how you get. That's how you basically progress through the game. Yeah, you could have easily yeah. missed it. And it's one of those things where, unlike the Adventure Link, you, there is no EXP in this game. There are no stats. Well, there's stats on your weapons, but that's pretty much it. There's no like stats in terms of like your attack stat, your magic stat, or, or whatever. So one key component of Weird West, and this isn't a surprise or, or 
hidden. It's actually like a key selling point of the game that I actually think is interesting in many ways is that as you go through the game, you will shift from character to character. There are five in total. And the main thing about that's connecting these characters is that each of them wakes up from a dream where they are branded. And each character ends up meeting kind of a recurring cast of mysterious entities. Like there's one that's like a young girl. There's one that's like a heathen witch. There's one that's like an undead like sheriff or something. He goes by the name Payne. And you kind of learn like as you go through these characters, a lot of people are talking about like soul binding and the search for immortality and basically uh, almost kind of like from an alchemist way, like binding souls to inanimate objects or into creatures or animals. There's this other character who is not immortal, but is trying to like research it because he's like desperate to become immortal. He's not a good person uh, named Essex Mast. And you kind of learn like, well, what is my role in this? Because I, I keep we, we have we're these characters that our souls keep getting branded like and all these people keep calling us passengers. And there's a lot of mystery and a lot of intrigue. And I actually think that this this story conceit is actually really, really like novel and different, where it's just like instead of a a cast a character is like whether and it's a whether it's a jrpg standard like your party or your western rpg your main character and companions or whatever it's something slightly different than that it's a little bit different take on that so narrative wise theme wise just the general vibe i actually think it's really quite interesting however the way the game actually plays is frustrating as all hell and that's kind of been my thesis for the whole game so far for instance when i finish the first character jane bell and i go to the second character who is a pig man he is a man whose soul has been bound to like this uh grafted pig monstrosity and Brad, you, hell yeah yeah it's and and basically what happens here it's like who the hell am i how am i connected what what is this and that was interesting and fine but you do not transfer any of your abilities. You do not transfer any of your items. You do not transfer any of your money. You are a clean slate, new character. Now, there are ways to like transfer items. Like if on the first character who is the bounty hunter, Jane Bell, I had either deposited items onto like the saddlebags of her horse or like into the bank, you can retrieve them on the next character. And so what this ends up doing is that's convenient and that's useful. And that's that, nice. that, that's, that feels like to me, like before you, if you, you'd want to know when her character story ends and then like before it ends, just load everything you possibly could into her saddlebag. Exactly. And I was actually kind of getting to that. So what ends up happening is once, uh, once you're like, I think I'm near the end of this character, I'm going to just start priming the, the, the changeover where I'm going to uh, just shift everything to the next character because I'm done with this one. Uh, now, there's some reasons why you might not want to do that because you can actually recruit the older characters into your posse for the newer characters. So once I'm playing as the third character, who is actually like a, a Native Amer American named Across Waters, um, you, can you can go back to like the Bell homestead and recruit her. And she still has all the items that she uh, that you originally left her. So like you could say like well instead of transferring over all the stuff uh, I'm just going to let her keep it and then go back and recruit her, but that's not always easy because sometimes you start as another character and they're well on the other side of the map and it's like well uh, that pigman that I was just playing as and I don't say the pigman's name because it has like a lot of the vowels uh, cut out of it 
It's, I don't know how you pronounce it. So you, so you kind of end up with this weird system where you end up having to like figure out how to play around the game systems because like you said, I'm, I'm near the end of the changeover point. What items do I want to transfer over? What items do I want to keep and then go recruit them later? And then also it makes it so it's like you mentioned finding these items that give you the ability points to unlock abilities. It's like, okay, I could be thorough and explore all these chests and because these ability points can just be hidden in containers on enemy bodies. Uh, you could go scour the map and try to find a whole bunch of them. But it's like, okay, do I want to bother doing that? Because if I just play this character's story out, I'm just going to shift to the next anyway, and they're going to have a new slate of abilities. Oh, actually, I say a new slate. I know I'm saying words like perk, ability, or whatever, and they're probably like different games use those, ga use those terms like interchangeably. So abilities are character-specific. Perks are um, more passive buffs that you keep from playthrough to playthrough. So every time you change characters, you do kind of want to find perks because every time, like perks are something like get 50% extra health or jump higher or things like that. And they're passive and they persist from character to character. So you always want to find those. But abilities, the abilities are into two tiers. They are either weapons, like you can fire a, a silent shot on your rifle or you can cause a bleeding shot with your bow and arrow or whatever. Or they are character specific, like the pig man can do a charge attack or the Native American can be more stealthy, things like that. But all, all the characters use the same suite of weapons, rifles, shotguns, bow and arrow, pistols or melee weapons. And all of these abilities are the same from character to character, but yet you still have to pay for them on each character. So if I'm using the across waters and he uses a bow and arrow, or I decide to have him use a bow and arrow and I give him all the bow and arrow abilities, and then I play as the next character who is a werewolf, I could, if I wanted to, have him use a bow and arrow, but I would still have to buy those same bow and arrow abilities again on him. So there's just this weird, like, there's a lot of caveats and trade-offs and footnotes whenever you shift characters, where I think this, the, the way that it presents the story, the narrative of it, is all really interesting and different and novel, but just playing it is just almost frustrating. I mean, it sounds kind of like... I, I'm trying to understand, like, what is the design intent here in terms of having you switch characters? I, I, I mean, yeah. is it more of like a narrative thing? But I feel like from a gameplay perspective, it sounds like it's just really frustrating, um, almost just starting like a new game in your old game. The narrative stuff is actually quite, I think the game has a really cool vibe. And it's different and it's weird. I mean, the game is called Weird West, which I still think is a terrible name for the game. But it's just a sort of story that is a bit just not what you typically see in an RPG, which are all like grandiose or epic, or even if they're not epic, they have like this linear progression where it's very clear who the antagonist is or what the journey's destination is. Not in every case, obviously. I don't mean to be painting with a broad brush, but this game, it's like when you're playing as the first character, Jane Bell, it starts as this story of revenge where it's mostly this, uh, your family was killed or abducted by this rival gang called the Stillwaters. And you kind of deal with them and you sort of learn that they're being manipulated by sirens, you know, this supernatural force. And then as the pigmen, as the pigman, you basically learn that this witch who was basically a cultist decided to just be like going crazy and she's she's researching the soul transfer stuff and what she does is she had a she had an experience where uh, it's heavily implied that her ex-husband raped her and she she basically takes men that are you know, criminals, thugs, you know, bad people uh, and says, like, you don't deserve to live. But instead of killing you, I'm going to, like, steal your soul and basically transfer it to this grafted pig abomination. And now you can't speak and you can't remember who you were. You remind this thrall. And then as you kind of learn that that's how these pigmen came to be, 
you kind of during the character that you're playing as you're like well if, if, if it's true what type of person was was this character in a past life and you end up meeting his ex-lover and basically you, you learn that you were a terrible person to her and she hates you and she wants you to leave and you ask for forgiveness and she basically says no you don't deserve it and you either just get you know get on with your life and try to be a better person from now on or you can you know just play into that role and just be an asshole. Uh, and it's kind of like the, the way that that story was slowly unveiled, I thought was kind of interesting and different. And there's another part of the story where this is more of the vibe of the game. You're trying to learn this location of this secret gold mine that has kind of driven people insane in, a, in this lust for wealth to like an absurd degree like anyone who ends up being like tempted becomes the the a term in the game is called ravenous and they get glowing blue eyes whenever they're like corrupted by this like almost supernatural greed you find these like three lockets that each have like a section of a poem on it that kind of tell you where this location of this hidden mine is and then as you go to the location of the mine and you're trying to search for the entrance and the backing theme ends up becoming a vocal theme that is singing the lullaby that you just read on the locket, which isn't that novel or interesting. But I just thought that like, oh, wow, that's a cool vibe, because if you didn't actually bother to read it, you would have been like, oh, this is a vocal theme, whatever. But it, it kind of tied like the gameplay and the and the aesthetic to together in, in a neat way like that. That's kind of been my impression of the game so far. I'm on the fourth character out of five now, and I probably won't speak about Weird West again until I write the review for it. Interesting story, interesting premise, kind of a cool vibe. I know I keep saying the word vibe, but I don't know like a better word for it. Different, just not fun. That's the unfortunate part. It's just I don't enjoy playing it very much. So that maybe kind of tracks I- with what I've uh, heard from <laughs> other people playing it too. Is that like, you know, cool tone, but not so fun to play. And the last thing I'll say is that it's because there is no experience. Every mu- everything is basically based on itemization. How many health packs do you have? How much ammo do you have? Did you find a better pistol or not? So it's almost like you're not incentivized to fight things. So I might be in a cave, be in a cave with a bunch of bears. And I'm like, I could fight all these bears, but that would cost ammo. I might get hurt and use a health pack or I'm just going to avoid this like i'm gonna i might not even bother entering this cave because maybe there's a perk item at the back of the cave maybe but do i really need that eh, i don't know like i'm low on ammo and i don't want to bother so i'm just gonna leave and when i get when a game is when i'm enjoying a game to some extent but like i decide just to skip sections of it because i don't want to play that section of the game it's kind of a kind of a bad admonishment there that's kind of been my feeling with weird west so far uh, i will hopefully within the next couple of weeks uh, write up the thoughts formally in a review and then next on the podcast i won't restate the the same impressions and just kind of point to that for my final uh takeaway so interesting game maybe watch a playthrough on youtube or something if you think it's an interesting vibe or if you think you uh, are okay with a, a small amount of tedium uh, go ahead and give it a try i uh, just wanted to make sure that i uh kind of gave my fuller impressions now that i've seen this character swapping mechanic in action which i hadn't seen uh last week and then the last game uh, on our list of games to talk about this week is Final Fantasy XIV Endwalker. And the reason why we're talking about it this week is because the release of, I'm, I'm going to butcher this, of an ultimate strike, ultimate raid, ultimate, ultimate challenge, raid. raid. Yeah, All right. Raid. So before we before I hand it off to um, James and Chow, I, I want to ask some basic questions about just the, the format and like the progression of ultimate raid. So my understanding is that this is an existing combat encounter, but tuned up and with new story slash mechanics attached to it. Is that correct? Not, not quite. Not exactly. Nope. 
All right, so, yeah, then enlighten me. Go ahead. Yes. What is the new so ultimate while... raid in Final Fantasy fourteen? Okay, so back in Stormblood, um, after they um, toned down Savage Raid's difficulties, um, they came up with the idea of having an additional like encounter that was meant to be super long, super difficult, with a bunch of different phases that would require you to have cleared the, at the time, current Savage Raid tier in order to even challenge. And that's when uh, Ultimate Raids were born. Um, the first couple were in Stormblood. The third was in Shadowbringers. We were going to get this one, a Dragon Song's Reprise, and originally planned for patch, I think, 5.5. But then because of COVID and like everything, like pushing their development schedule way back, they had to uh, postpone it into Unwalker, and we finally got it. So uh, usually one of the other conceits of Ultimates, besides the fact that they're Again, meant to be the ultimate challenge, especially if you're doing them on release. You need best in slot. You need to know your rotation basically perfectly. You need to use food. You need to pot during burst phases. It's like everything is, needs to be perfect. What is, yeah, what is pot? Like, a pot is um, using a potion potions. to get a, a temporary strength boost to do more uh, damage for like a 30 second boost window. So, yeah, when it's not really a big deal in, uh, anything besides savage raiding and ultimates but um in 14 pretty much every job especially if the um with uh, and walkers changes has a two minute burst window so every two minutes optimally you're supposed to deal your most damage in a burst mm -hmm. uh, it lines up with every job in the game so you're supposed to pot during your burst windows whenever potions are up. That way you can maximize the buff that it applies. Because the uh, when you use a potion or a tincture, for 30 seconds you get that buff. So it's very, very like limited in scope and you have to like weave it in right as you're about to do your like uh, most uh, amount of damage. I don't even know where to begin. Uh, one of the other conceits about ultimates is... Um, the very first one was based off of the original Realm Reborn raid tier, uh, Coils of Bahamut, uh, and was called Unending Coils of Bahamut, or Ukab. The next one after that was based off the Realm Reborn story, so it was based on the Ultima weapon, so um, the uh, Weapons Refrain, I think it was called. Yeah, uh, people call it short for Uvu, uh, Ultimate Weapon, <laughs> Ultimate, you know. With uh, Shadowbringers Ultimate, it went, it shifted into the Heaven's Ward Raid series, so Alexander, so you had the Epic of Alexander, and because they already did the Heaven's Ward Raid series, uh, this uh, current Ultimate is uh, Dragon Song's Reprise, which is a reimagining sort of slash what if of uh, the Heaven's Ward main scenario, and as of right now, and this is a little bit of a spoiler, but if if you're at all into raiding, you already know about it. And if you're not into raiding, it doesn't really matter. Because all right. You're not so, sp upcoming spoiler for Heaven's Ward. Uh, click to the next timestamp if you will. haven't played it. <laughs> um, basically, the conceit is everyone knows how Heaven's Ward went. People died and, and um, there was like a specific character, Harshafont, who basically protects you and in the end, like dies so you can continue on the fight. Is that the uh, okay? I, I might get this completely wrong, completely. But is this the, is that the guy that says a smile better suits a hero? Yes, yes. he is. Aha! Uh -huh, I know who this so, guy is. <laughs> so uh, it's been fascinating because the ultimate came out, and um, 
based off what the minstrel says and what um, who's the person you talk to to pick up the fight and also what the uh, duty text says um, implied that there was a way to save Harshafont in this raid. It's none of this is canon. doesn't actually impact the story as a whole, but it was fascinating because the very first phase uh, deals with that. And uh, he dies. You continue on the fight. Um, and then after phase three, it loops back to the end of phase one. And one of the mechanics you have to do is you need to tank limit uh, break three to both cleanse his healing debuff and protect him. And then you just need to keep him alive as that one mechanic at the end of phase one happens. And then burst down like the fear of light that originally kills him in the story. And you just need to break it and save him in order to continue on the uh, encounter, which is a really interesting twist. But uh, I think that's a smart idea for like something that's a very high level of challenge that only a small percentage of players will be able to experience. How do we make a caveat like this meaningful story interaction, but not feel like players are literally boxed out and uh, make, making making it a what if story? I don't know. Seems like uh, I, kind I, of a, I was like reading. What was it people like to call it make fun of this to call it the Final Fantasy Seven remake? The fight. <laughs> <laughs> it basically this gives you a, a turn of timeline basically if he was alive then you don't feel as pressured to stop the main antagonist in heaven's ward and now he gets free reign and do all this evil shit and now he gets even more powered up and now you fight a super form of him basically the anger that you and your allies feel after losing harsha font is what puts the pressure to uh really chase after him as fastly as as quickly as possible. And if you didn't have that extra push, things would have spiraled out of control way, way quicker is uh, the main conceit. It's really fascinating. As of the time this recording, nobody has finished the fight. Uh, There have been data mines of some of the final phases, but it does look like there are two more phases left, something like that. Uh, How long has the fight been out? uh, Uh, Like five days, I think. Five days, yeah. Uh, uh, Radiant's mind, got to the was it? They are up to phase six. I think that's as furthest as they go. They don't stream their fights because they don't want people to like kind of know their yeah. strats. So. so TPS is a raid group. Uh, it's uh, short for thoughts per second. Um, they're generally the front runners, and their um, whole thing is is that they're really at a, um, really really good at figuring out mechanics. But they're maybe not necessarily the most consistent when it comes to rotations, DPS checks. They get there in time, and uh, that's the reason they don't stream. It's because they understand very well that their strength lies in the ability to figure out mechanics. Uh, there's even been people like accusing them of like figure like data mining to try and figure out mechanics ahead of time. But I don't think there's any proof of that. And the devs have outright acknowledged their. Uh, rolled first in the past so it's moot either way have they, have they but, been um, active like the whole life of the game i don't uh, think so i think they just got started around either stormblood or shadowbringers i think they might have actually been shadowbringers i think it's kind of like it's first in like eden times i think it was yeah it's kind of interesting just like how we have like these uh, online games and with these high levels of PvE challenge like this, you have teams that kind of come and go with the, you know, ebb and tide. But I don't know, just the fact that these games kind of have this like exterior lore to them, I just always think is an interesting 
component to their communities. I also don't think they would have won the last world first if people didn't have server issues as much because in the last savage um, tier i think there's a different group that would have beaten them if they didn't have like server connection issues there was a lot of people getting dc'd and and it kind of kills their static runs you know so have uh, i assume james's group has been attempting this raid yes um so chow's group just finally cleared uh, p4s which is the savage tier but they need to, in order to even really attempt it, you need to be best in slot. So it'll be a little while further before they have a chance to properly attempt it. My group has been making pretty decent progress. We've only had uh, two days worth of raiding. We're not like racing for world first hell now, but uh, we're mid-core. We're uh, meeting four days a week, three hours each. So far, we have made it to phase two, and I'm actually really happy with how we've been performing. Like, none of us are really stressing about it, but there's this one mechanic that people have been calling, like, Knights uh, Rampant in phase two. And we ended up uh, executing the first uh, mechanic of it with uh, two um, dual tank tethers and uh, proximity AoEs and whatnot. Within an hour of getting there, when when apparently even some of the world first ra- uh, raiders that just w- specifically waited a little bit so they could kind of peek ahead at mechanics, it took them like two hours to to get a successful like execution of it. So well, I like, was surprised that there's, there's this is the only the fourth ultimate in the game. Uh, the reason why there's like not a lot of ultimate is because they would have to test it with uh, Yoshi P's static. He has like a group of developers that are really good at the game, and they need to test it and balance it. And it was hard to get them all together during COVID time because if they can't beat it, they're not putting this out. Yeah, uh, I'm actually. I-, I wonder if all MMO developers take that uh, approach, or if there's sometimes like, well, we can't beat it, but good luck. Ooh, we think that theoretically you can beat it because we know the systems or whatever. Wasn't there one of the Castlevania games or Castlevania? Uh, successors where they said like their developer needed to be able to beat a boss without being able to get hit in order for the boss to be like approved. I feel like that's a, for a game like Castlevania, that's fair. Cause it, the one thing I hate the most in like uh, games like that is when I get hit and it feels like there was literally no way I could have avoided it. That was in a uh, bloodstained ritual of the night. Uh, you guys yeah, that's that that. in, uh, in an interview, but yeah, that's the reason why the, the new ultimate took so long is because they just couldn't find the time to get all the developers on the same page to play, to test this out. Uh, What happened was they had to get Endwalker launch ready and they just didn't have time to work together. So yeah, makes sense to me. But yeah, I've been having a lot of fun with the encounter. Um, There's no real point in me describing the mechanics because there's all these different like live streams and VODs out there. If you want to see what the fight looks like, go take a look. Uh, there's really no point in me describing the mechanics because if you want to know what the mechanics are, you're probably already considering doing the fight. And there's like other resources out there. I am definitely not a. So I have one last question though. Like, let's say I am playing Final Fantasy 14. I'm pretty, I'm pretty into the game, but I just don't have a static, and I probably just don't don't have the time or effort to put into learning the fight and winning. What are like what you what are the things you can earn from completing the fight? Like, can you get like best in slack gear that you can get there and nowhere else, or is it purely cosmetic? Or like, what are the in game like rewards for it? Technically, yes, in the sense that the weapon that you get from clearing the savage fight 
is as of right now, I level 605 with two materia slots. The weapon that you get from querying the ultimate will be I level 605 with three materia slots. And what goes in a materia so, slot? Sorry, I'm a no. Well, a, a materia, which uh, you can use to uh, buff any of the uh, non maxed out stats for the weapon. Like, um, I'm assuming that the critical uh, that will be maxed for the ultimate weapon. So it would be something like direct hit or uh, determination, something like that. It's um, technically the best weapon. In so it's, the game, it's technically but better, but it's very, very like it's, marginal. It's at by that a point. minuscule amount, and it's not going to be like some. It doesn't really matter anyways, because it's like ultimate is the highest end content. Like people parse fights and all that, but if a, if an ultimate's current, nobody's going to care if you got like a gray parse or a blue parse if you get it like before eye level increases. Because if you clear the ultimate when it's still like brand new that's like you i don't care what people say you're a good player <laughs> right one it's, it's bragging it's the real prestige right there i mean people i have seen people try ultimates from like fresh from right now doing t or the epic of alexander it took about six months for them to, to be it. And, <laughs> and that's, that's like and that's like not the fresh ultimate because like fresh ultimates again it's like it's the hardest content in the game the hardest it'll ever be because there is like a hard cap for what your uh perform well what your gear can give you like in regards to hp and like um dps and whatnot that there's like even like when you get like there is like item level syncing like um this ultimate will sync to 605 um despite the weapon from savage raids being 605 the current max high level is 600 but if you did next tier and you got a bunch of essentially ultimate exclusive bis once uh, the next patch comes out um, and I and I say ultimate exclusive best, but I don't mean it's like you're you only use for ultimate. It's just like because of the way that item well, level syncing works, sometimes when uh, item level like increases, like the max increases, uh, different gear might be more beneficial just because of the way that syncs works. So um, that you get to the situation where there's actually some like dungeon gear that after item level sync is best for the Epic of Alexander now, I think. Yeah, people go back and farm like I think it was like level five hundred something gear, just because that's the best in slot. Because when you <laughs> down sync maybe like a level six hundred gear, you don't exactly get the best stats. So that's why they farm at even lower level gear so that it syncs properly. But well, that's the one way to the keep older is, content uh, like relevant, which is kind of neat. Yeah, but the point of the matter is, is that. Um, the fight will get easier over time just due to the extra bit of uh, eye level, which it'll only be like a few percentage points difference. But when some of the best players in the game are struggling against these DPS checks, and let's say they're like one or two percent off, well, if everyone in your group has two to three percent like better like equipment, like just statistically, that'll make it that much easier to clear the fight. So it all adds up and whatnot. It's all about the proper strats. I think the hardest part with doing these ultimates is how long of a fight it is. And it takes so long to get to that one point and you just keep dying it to test yeah, it again. Yeah. That's the other thing about ultimates. Is it like a normal um raid encounter and savage is around like ten minutes? Uh and any fights that are longer usually have a door boss section. So that it 
it's like a checkpoint. So for example, P4S, it has two halves. Each of them is about like seven minutes each. So the overall encounter is 14 minutes. But as long as you clear the first half, you only have to worry about like keeping it together for seven minutes at a time. Whereas while there is a small checkpoint for the current ultimate, it's like two and a half minutes into the fight. It's the by far the easiest phase because it's the first phase. And then you have like 15, 16 minutes of the rest of the fight with nonstop mechanics that require pinpoint accuracy and like instant, almost instant reflexes in some cases. And it's not just knowing your rotation, not just having the right gear. It's also just like an endurance test. It's the hardest. Did you say how, how long, like a, a successful ultimate poll, and I know not for this one because it hasn't been finished yet, but the old ones, like how long does that end up taking? Like 15 minutes or longer than that? More than 15 minutes or longer, yeah. Okay. It's like us doing P4S, but without having a checkpoint and do it all perfectly and a little bit more difficult. That's basically... Way more difficult. Point. Not a little more difficult. It's like... God. Well, I would say a little bit more difficult because everything kills you instantly anyways, right? But it, no, it's like, it's... imagine trying to survive all this mechs for 15 minutes straight. Let and me put it this way, let me put it this way. Imagine if um, you saw every mechanic in P4S in half the time that the normal fight um, takes to explain and show everything. And you, could, and you have to play it clean, because if you can't do it clean, there's no way you could clear this fight. And that's why I, I believe that we're not ready for this ultimate fight, because when I did it, I feel like if we can't do this fight clean, <laughs> there's no way in hell we can clear this. That's my, that's my take on it. Yeah, I'm having a lot of fun. I actually uh, have another session with Static after the podcast is done. I don't know that's how a- long it'll take us to get the clear. Uh, hopefully it's before patch 6.2. That would be nice. But uh, is that? I think it's scheduled for August. I think this is the first fight that uh, Silpha, or I think it was like one of the people from TPS is already complaining about how, how ridiculous difficult this is. He didn't even say this about T. I think they were laughing at T because they cleared it in three days. Yeah, That's- it's it's like I, I've seen some of the later mechanics and it's like, oh my god, there's so much going on screen at once. It's like, what the fuck? We got a video for you, Brian. Just watch this one. Uh, anyways, I, I think that's it for, for our opinion of the DSR, the Dragon Song Reprise. Well, yeah, good luck. Uh, hopefully we will hear about success before the end of the year at some point. All right, uh, I think that covers us for the Games Talk section. We covered most of the features that are, that are up on the site. Um, there is one other feature that was up on the site that Alex Donaldson uh, put up that I do kind of agree with, but uh, I'm not sure I agree with how strongly that Alex put it up. So, okay, I guess I'll just introduce it. So Alex put up a feature on the site about near Automata and its propensity for being involved in crossovers and how he basically has found that it's kind of... He, he, he thinks it's no longer interesting or novel to have that, and he thinks that he wants to see near 3 or whatever that is in the future of the series before seeing any more crossovers. I don't... You know, the future the feature is up on the site, and you can go ahead and read it if you give it a wish. For me... I think the, I think the crossovers are dumb, but they're easy enough to ignore. That's kind of where I'm at. Where That's, they don't, yeah, I'm in the same boat. But it's also Yoko Toro basically saying, if you pay him, <laughs> it's like, I'll put whatever collab in whatever product you want. Yeah, yeah it's, I, it's just, it's like, you know, the the, the dude literally said, hey, you, if you give us enough money, we'll fucking do anything. And then everyone's like, all right. So, and oh, the, what I mean, spawned this was um, 
Nier ended up getting a crossover in a PUBG spinoff. So not only a crossover in PUBG, but the what is the spinoff game called? New State Mobile. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's it's been in uh uh, I thought he had a list of crossovers in here, but uh, well, I mean, I mean, I can give you a list. I mean, do you want a list? It's, it's been, I guess, it's been recorded that it's had at least twenty-five uh, crossovers so far, and you know, some some of these are very recent, like Babylon's Fall. Um, mm-hmm. But it's all, but you know, it's had one with Fall Guys. I don't know, Soul Calibur Six that a lot of people really liked because she was actually a full playable character in there showed up like you know and a lot of gotcha games like the octopath traveler the now shut down star ocean one um oh, Panic star ones. online too yeah i don't think this list is that bad it's just that she appeared in like two bad <laughs> collapse and and alex is freaking I mean, out i mean it's, it's 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 just it's pro- proliferated in a way that's like it's very prevalent now like it used to be novel and it's like oh you know she showed up in soul calibur 6 that's freaking cool or like, oh, it's like you know, when the when the game is still fresh, like, oh, she she showed up like we didn't know like back then, like that two B was gonna be like fucking almost everything. Not I'm not gonna say almost everything, but like it, it's gonna show up in a lot in a lot of places, like in a in a world where there's still like no near no new near game, you know, because last year's replicant was a, a remake of the first game, not not a new game necessarily. But yeah, no one no one really foresaw that like, oh, they would really, really go out all of this and I mean, it it makes sense in the sense that like they're benefiting, they're getting easy money, and the people that they're crossing over with, for better or worse, you know, whether it's working out for them or not, like this is a way to entice people uh, to to play or check out their game. And for uh, some people, it it really works. Like a lot, like I'm I'm sure their uh, Soul Calibur Six did get like a boost in sales from people who wanted to play Two B in that game as a fighting game character, and the the sales numbers of near automata don't lie you know mm-hmm. so it, i'm kind of i'm kind of with adam where like when nowadays when i hear that there's a crossover with near i'm just kind of like it doesn't move the needle for me and it's like okay whatever like i could there's a thousand games where i could play as someone in a 2b outfit or not a thousand but at least 25 according to this list but I yeah, uh, care about Colgate Ryu and like a, <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. I was about to bring that up. Actually, like, it, like to me, it really doesn't matter because, like, I'm so used to things getting collab. Like, Street Fighter has done a collab with a million things, you know, and like, and you see Ryu in a lot, a shitload of other games. You saw Ryu fucking with a machine gun in Fortnite. It's like, yeah, hell yeah, you know. I, I just like things. Things get popular, and like, did for me, it doesn't like devalue the IP like in a weird way for me because like I enjoyed the things that I like. And, like, yeah, it doesn't make me less excited if, for Near Three or whatever. Yeah, like if I if I like go replay Near Automata, it's like oh, I feel so devalued because I've seen Two B and so much other shit. Or like it's not like I when I pick a play and play Street Fighter and like say play Ryu, like oh no, I can't pick Ryu. He's been so many collabs and he's been he's been uh, sold out to so many other things. Like I don't see it like that. I'm just like I just play the things that I like and find enjoyable and don't really let other media like influence that i do like but, one of the know, com- one of the comments on alex's articles it's like they said they would gladly say yes to anything gotta respect it <laughs> so i guess <laughs> that's true I mean, they have the, they have the hustle you know all right so with that uh, out of the way that's up on the site if you want to look at it and we'll go into the news section it's been a quiet week for news but here is a game that was officially announced i believe last year but it was uh, it occurred at the um 20th anniversary event for Utawaramono uh last November 
And maybe James can remember the, the details here or Adam, but they announced during this event a new RPG called Monochrome Mobius Rights and Wrongs Forgotten, but there was no official like footage of it. Do I have there that correctly? Was a, there, was, there, was, there was a stream, but they did not sh- save it. <laughs> Like it wasn't BOD. No, no, it, it, no, it was. It just it took a while for it to be up um, okay. uploaded. It just wasn't up immediately after the stream. But they did show footage of it. Yeah, they uh, did show footage. Like they showed actual gameplay. They showed like a cutscene. They showed like they showed a lot actually. Like for the first uh, showcase. Okay, so again, the the, game, the title of the game announced last year during the stream event uh, is called Monochrome OBS Rights and Wrongs Forgotten. It does take place in the Utawara Mono universe and it is a turn-based rpg and we got today or not today we're not we're relaying the information today this week the announce trailer for it which basically is a long trailer that's five minutes long or so that shows the story conceit footage a lot of the animation work being done for the game it's got a trailer with both uh it's the audio is in japanese either way but there is one with uh there's an official english trailer as well with english subtitles all right all right so the most important thing, but you're kind of beating around the bush for this, it's a worldwide release. Yes, it's uh, got a release date on September 8th of this year. Which is massive. Um, <laughs> there were a lot of uh, Trails fans, uh, Falcom fans, uh, quote tweeting uh, that announcement being like, man, Utuwaru Mono gets a worldwide release, but Trails is a three-year delay. And it's like, ah. It is. It is kind of wild, you know. You you never really expect it for Utaware Romono. Um, These are very tech heavy. It's very tech heavy. It's very niche. Like e- even even JRPG says that that series is still very pretty niche. Well, um, apparently, apparently the um, PC versions have been doing pretty well. And uh, one of the things that helps it is that Shiravun doesn't just do English uh, for their PC releases. They also do Chinese and I think mm-hmm. Korean. Don't quote me on that. Definitely uh, traditional Chinese as well as English. So since they can handle both uh, translation from Japanese to English and Japanese to Chinese, it just works out that it's like, okay, well, maybe just the English speaking audience wouldn't be enough to uh, justify a worldwide release. But the Chinese audience too, that might do it. And and who knows? The fact that this is a worldwide release, it's obviously got a bit more budget to it. I am sad that it's no longer a tactical RPG. I really liked um, Mask of uh, Deception, Mask of Truth especially. But uh, it definitely looks better. The fact that it's a worldwide release, the fact that um, the Mask of Truth anime is starting up in a few seasons, and I think, something like that. It might have been uh, summer this year, I think. Yeah, They're yeah, doing a Mask of Truth anime again? That's yeah, um, they're doing a two-core uh, adaptation. So, hey, maybe it'll actually be good. Who knows? But... um. Yeah, I think this is good. I think there's a decent chance this will do well. The elephant in the room, and I actually uh, i am going to write up uh, some of my own thoughts about that. I talked with uh, Alex about it a few days ago. It's really fucking weird. I, like, I understand why it's PC only in the West. Like, Shiravoon does not do console releases. And if it's releasing in September... People are like trying to cope by saying, oh, maybe NIS America. No, NIS America is 100% not doing this. Like, if you look at what they have released, what they have like scheduled for the rest of the year, including the fact that Trails from Zero is also re- releasing right around the same time, 
no, they're they're not going to do the console versions. Like if they do, I'll I'll be happy. I'll be surprised. But it's like if you're an Utuaru Mono fan and you played through the trilogy on PS4 and Zon on PS4, you're going to have to play this on PC unless you can read Japanese. Unless there's some like small hope that Aquaplus will put English text on the Japanese like console release, which I highly doubt it. Yeah, it's PC only in the West. Yeah, it's PC only in the West. Uh, in Japan, it will be on PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. Uh, who did the console releases for? Was it Nice for Utawade well, Romono has, uh, has a very complicated history of like uh, publishers. Uh, Basically, Mass Conception. It was originally Atlas. Yeah, Mask and Deception, Mask of Truth were like some of the last releases that Atlas did when they still had to actually like do releases that weren't just Sega Atlas games. And then by the time Prelude to the Fallen, the remake uh, came out, uh, they didn't want to do it because it's like, well, they needed to use the resources elsewhere. So Nisa swooped in and basically did the localization for that. And, uh, I, for, I forgot that Nisa eventually like get get uh, the previous Utawara Romono games no, from Atlas. No, okay. no, um, that's actually another wrinkle to this is that while you can buy Prelude to the Fallen digitally on PS4 and Vita, you cannot buy Mask and Deception, Mask and Truth digitally on PS4 and Vita. They have been delisted as of about a year ago. I want to say something like that. Yeah. So. While it does suck that you're not going to be able to play this game on console in English, uh, I feel like most of the people that played the game, this game and well, these games in the West at this point have probably played it on PC because they've run on toasters and the PC releases have been out for a little while now. Like I think the PC version of Prelude to the Fallen has been out for over a year and Massive Exception, Mask of Truth have been like, like two two years at this point while the ports aren't amazing it's like well here's one thing like all three of them are steam deck verified if you get if you end up getting a steam deck you can play them on there and who cares if they're 720p 30 fps locked ports and they're, they're also just, it's, just, it's just it's just yeah, it's just it's cleaner too like in terms of like a behind the scenes perspective because shiravun has done all the pc yeah uh you know of the previous games they didn't have to wrangle with atlas and nisa for them, they just kind of Aquaplus let them just like you know let them take in the reins for the entire thing, and I'm sure that's probably why we have this situation situation with Monochrome Mobius, especially you know Falcom has already run into this problem with Nisa. Not 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 to say that's Nisa's fault because Nisa has been doing really like a really great job, like, yeah, you know, yeah. stay crystally busy. But Falcom has run into this like now problem now with Nisa taking in like you know the Kiseki series. Of like they're just too busy with other stuff too. They have their own releases to ta- to take care yeah, of. Yeah. While Shiravun is, you know, they they work on they have other projects in the line, but they, you know, there seems to be a cleaner pipe pipeline for them, unlike with Nisa. Yeah, Utsuharu Mono is basically their bread and butter at this point for uh, Shiravun, which great for them. And if it's like doing well enough that that they can justify a worldwide release, that's awesome. But uh, yeah, um, I don't like. Despite it being a real problem with how long it takes for uh, Falcom games to get localized, I don't think it's 100% fair the way that people are kind of throwing this at like Nisa's feet. Well, mm-hmm. there's certainly things they could be handling better. I I feel like you have to be the most defensive. 
I don't even know the best term. For this. Uh, well, yeah, I, know, just, I, know people, I know people that say, oh, it's fine that they're um, taking so long to release Hajimari or I mean, Trails into Reverie in the West. And it's like, Trails from Zero and Trails to Azure had finished translations when they sent them over to Nisa, including the new content from the PS4 versions. Yes, they need to wait for ports. Yes, they need to uh, implement the translation. But I'm sure it could have taken less time than this, and they could have sped things up a little bit. And it's just very unfortunate the situation. We're I get. I think. I think it's just an unfortunate situation all around because, like, while they, they, they most likely would have to, if they wanted to, like, give priority to Falcom's releases, they would. It would affect a lot of their pipeline. Like, you well, know, the, it already the, has. I mean, well, we have we have like NIS American employees on Reset Era outright ad- admitting that the main reason that we haven't gotten Labyrinth of Gallery in the West yet is because of the the Falcom yeah. releases yeah. and that we won't be getting it until 2023 over 2 years after it came out in Japan. Yeah. So it's just and then they also have all these other projects that they're working on like with the Nisa Classics and they have the other localizations even before the yeah. Galleria. It's just it's it, like it, it like Nisa has become too stretched too uh, stretched at this point. Like they they they've had some great partnerships and like like you know a, they're they, releasing things left and right, but they're, they're just they're they have they're tackling on too many projects and spread too thin that will like satisfy like the like the the fans of like the of certain audiences. Yeah, and I'm sure part of it is they want to make damn sure they take their time with the trails releases, if only because yeah. they they know after Ease Eight that the Falcom community will get on their case if they mess up a localization. So it's like it, it's good that there's that pressure there, but it does mean that like. Yeah, they ideally it would be great if they could expand, but I don't think their games are doing well enough that they can justify it. So yeah, I don't I don't think they can expand right now either. I think it's too it'd be too risky, too tumultuous right now to even try uh, doing that. Yeah. Um, um, Question wise, how how successful is their most recent Disgaea game number six? I don't know. I don't think the, they the, the, talked the, about it. I mean, did the did the PS4 and PC version come out yet? I uh, like that, uh, I guess the PS4, PS5, and PC versions are coming out later this year. It's yeah. June. Yeah, so I guess what we'll really know, like, because the the Sky Six was only on Switch. I don't know how well it sold there, but you know, we'll get a better picture once it comes to other platforms. I imagine. Yeah. So yeah. looping back for Monochrome Mobius, it's releasing on September 8th of this year. And I guess when I watch this trailer, I can recognize that the art style is the same as in the Utoara Mono games, but I don't know, like, are and it takes place in the same universe, but are there, like, it does it have shared cool. locations, shared characters, anything like that? Or am I free to jump in here, or is that not known yet? It's a prequel, so this is gonna oh, be interesting. It it's like watching like shows that you already know what's gonna happen to these characters later on, and you're like, "Oh, I don't feel good about this." But yeah, that's basically what I I, I say about it. I saw the trailer. But is it yeah. like a a distant prequel, or like a, these are the same characters prequel? Uh, same characters. It's like twenty years in the past, or something like that. Oh, okay. I don't know. Well, maybe less than that because of a certain character. It, it might even be as like little as like ten years in the past or something. As I, I understand know. it, they introduced four characters in this announcement, and three of them are existing characters, and one of them is new. All right. 
why did they drop the Utaware Rumono name from the game title? I guess that's because, it, because it's a spinoff, kind of. But, uh, but, but isn't Zana spinoff? Yeah, I don't know. But it's a retelling. Who knows? Yeah, it's a retelling. Because Zahn is a retelling of uh, Mask Inception, and Zahn 2 is a retelling of uh, Mask of Truth, that sort of thing. Or maybe know. this one a new new series would branch off because okay will th- will this will this be in like the Utawari Romono bundle that they sell on Steam like the, the all those games or will it just not be in there like Zon the Zon games were? Well, the Zon games aren't even on PC. Oh yeah, yeah. that's right. I, I thought they were for some reason. <laughs> well, that'll be another RPG for uh, September. The other one is kind of related that's trails from zero is releasing officially in english and later in september uh, this will be september 8th uh same day as steel rising which is just a note but yeah Plenty i think time it's for me to finish it before uh crow too thank god I, I look at the trailer for this game for monochromobius and it kind of looks like a ps3 rpg but like in the best way like the animations are a little bit simpler but the art style is really pleasant uh it's got like that the cel-shaded look to it and it's a very traditional turn-based system it looks like which i think is kind of cool to see and i don't know I, that's I that... mostly play this for the story usually i you wouldn't really care about the graphics too much so and that was really the the major announcement of the week but we do have quite a list to hear of just some smaller updates that we'll just roll on through uh, we did get another one of the Soul Hackers 2 Summoner Guide videos. So the first video, if you don't remember what that was, that was the one that detailed the combat system where I said, yeah, it pretty much looks like press turn. And then Adam and Josh were like, no, 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 this is way different. This has the Sabbath mechanic and things like that. And I, I ate a little bit of crow there. So this guide here, Summoner's Guide Volume 2, basically talks about two things. It talks a little bit about the Milady character, which had a character trailer a few weeks back, and uh, Dungeon Exploration. And now I want to be careful, and I'm like, well, this this dungeon exploration. Okay. Well, what, what does, it, does it seem like, uh, Ryan? Uh, what's the comparison? Uh, it looks uh-huh. just pretty typical. Like there's enemy models on the screen, and you swing at them, and then if if you if you run into them after attacking them, you get a preemptive strike. And if you I'll be another, I'll be another uh, uh, RPG where you swing the enemies in the, on the overworld, and then they fall down, and you have to run into them after they but fall down instead of just initiating the battle. I actually don't know though. The falling down part I think is unique. I don't know another one specifically that has that. Normally if you swing at them like in Persona 4, then you're starting the battle right away. Am I missing one? No, I mean uh, th- th- that's why I was like I was like I, w- uh, I was wondering waiting for you to make a comparison. <laughs> I was like maybe another RPG. That um, does that. someone in our chat mentioned that I think uh Tokyo Mirage Sessions does that, which I don't did, remember did it? if it did I don't remember. I thought it but always it would, initiated. If it made, if it did, it might make sense because this game is basically developed by the same yeah, team. Yeah, it's true. Then, yeah, I can, I, t- I can totally see that. Maybe it did. God, I forgot. It's one of those things you just don't like pay attention to. Like, oh yeah, you hit them, and I don't, I don't remember specifically like hitting enemies and then just like going around the. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but um, yeah. Uh, you know, this is this is uh, this new Summoner's Guide thing for Soul Hackers Two isn't really as interesting as the first one because the first one actually laid out like how combat works. This one's just like, you know, providing more story details that you know the story is the story and who cares? In my opinion, like the 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 things that were sort of interesting to me were what we were just talking about, like the how uh, you explore dungeons and the overworld in the in this game based uh, basically. 
you know, there are like shadowy like enemy enemies that like run up to you and then you can hit them with Ringo's uh, weapon and then they'll get knocked down and then you can decide whether you want to run into them to initiate combat while you're where you'll have advantage if they're knocked down or you can just run around them and save time if you don't really need to uh deal with them uh and you can also like at the like beginning of dungeons you can like send out your demons to kind of pick up goodies around the dungeon and sometimes even recruit demons uh, for you after you after you uh, disperse them and then you have to like manually like find them again in the dungeon and uh, reunite with them is my understanding are there any other things that, like caught, caught your eye adam it was other than that it was pretty typical what you expect you know like you said the the, the first video where they introduced battle is actually like interesting in terms of the, the twists on it compared to typical and now it's just like this seems pretty you know, straightforward. Yeah, not now we're reduced to oh man, if you hit the enemy with the weapon, they knock down now. That's what we're just reduced to now. <laughs> there's there are some there are some story uh teases about the some of the antagonists. There was Iron Mask and then is it Iron Mask or am I confusing that with a uh, uh Tales of Arise? Guy in an iron mask of some sort. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh he's got like this henchman named RS who originally was sent to kill Milady, and then Milady was this. Then was then revived by Rindo to be a soul hacker or whatever. So just a little bit of character premise and backstory there. I guess we should have talked about this back when we were talking about the um, Echoes of Mana. But alongside the release of Echoes of Mana, we did also get uh, new details about the Teardrop Crystal anime. We got a key artwork. We got a teaser trailer, which mostly just talks about um, the some of the talent and studios behind the Legend of Mana, the Teardrop Crystal anime, which uh, will be debuting this year. And I believe it is uh, worldwide. So I don't know what service will be holding it, but maybe uh, maybe Josh would know. I don't know if you have any interest in watching this, but... I mean, I'll watch it. I like, I like Legend of Mana, and, you know, it it, it is weird to show uh like an animation trailer with no animation in it but uh the uh, they revealed like the the designs of the characters um that how they'll look in the anime and they look pretty nice um you know you see shiloh we see elazul pearl a few other characters. so in legend of mana first of all the re-release of legend of mana had like a new animated opening from these same studios so so far that's like our only clue to what the anime might look like um in no, terms the, of the, the production is like graphinica and yokohama animation lab i think yeah and i'm not in tune enough to know like what else have they done or whatever yeah um but anyways uh in legend of mana legend of mana has three separate storylines and one of them that's probably the most involved and probably the most well suited for an anime adaptation is the like jumi storyline it has to do with like these basically sentient crystal people like these crystal people are each basically representative of a type of crystal or jewel. Um, for example, there's a character named Pearl, which she's based off of Pearl. For some reason, the character based off the lapis lazuli, they call Elazul. I'm not sure why they didn't call him like lazuli. Uh, and there's, you know, Emerald and all that. And that story is pretty emotional and also probably like the strongest narratively in the game uh, in certain ways. So I'm interested to see how the anime will do it. I don't have like, high expectations because most anime adaptations just aren't that good but i'm curious about it 
Yeah, and you know, just any anything that gives like uh, the Mata series some love is uh, it, it, to me, it's like worth uh, checking and, out. And, and I, I guess it's also worth mentioning, like the Yoko Shimomura is doing the music for this adaptation. And well. she she yep. she did it originally for Legend of Mana, right? Yep. yep. And I believe there was an interview back when Legend of Mana re-released last year where they said the actual decision to make the anime here came before the decision to re-release the game, which I kind of find both somewhat strange but also sort of like sensible because just animation just takes so long to like produce and do um but obviously now legend of mana is available on basically all modern devices and uh even on phones it just kind of randomly released on phones too i almost forgot about that um yeah, so, like the, now that did, yeah, you reminded me of like a, a video. I like you know, there's a little bit off topic, but didn't reminded me. Uh, like I, I was watching a video on like the the production of a uh, uh, the anime adaptation of uh, Mushoku Tensei is another anime that released and aired uh, not several months ago. But then they were saying like the idea of making an anime anime adaptation for that, like the reason it turned out so good because uh, was because of like the long pre prep period. Like, it was like it was like pretty much in pre production for like five years. I also know the the uh switching like uh hemispheres a bit I know the uh, arcane anime for uh what is it League of Legends also Mm -hmm. was like had like um, almost a decade-long production which is why it turned out so well (laughs) so insane yeah that'll be uh releasing this year at some point we don't know uh, any timetable yet but look forward to that uh here's this random piece of news we did get an announcement that Diablo Immortal which was, it feels like 2018 was alive. Was, what? <laughs> it's alive. Yeah. So this, the, it feels, I don't know. Don't you guys have phones? No, I don't know. It's just from it's another just an time. Season April Fool's joke. Yeah. It's, uh, so it has a release date now. It'll be releasing on June 2nd. And then it was also announced that it will get an open beta on PC and that there will be cross play between uh, the mobile version of the game and the PC version of the game. With it's an announcement so trailer, crazy. as well as with like an eight-minute video detailing uh, the reveal. Go ahead, Josh. Yeah, I'm just saying it's just so ironic after like their their the initial announcement, this like pushing like, oh, it's like on phones. Don't you guys have phones? And then now like, oh, we're back, and it's also coming to PC. <laughs> it's mm. like, okay, well, I guess we all don't have phones then. No, but um, sure, I guess. I mean, they, you know, they they went into like a whole. They have this whole blog on like. Uh, like the decision to make a PC version and then all the sensibilities that they're going to have, like, you know, with making the PC version, the Aussie have like a robust, like, uh, option set to like uh, scale the UI. So it doesn't, so it looks less of a, a mobile game on it. Um, but it, like, I don't know if I buy it, but like they they said, Oh, the primary reason we wanted to bring it to PC because we knew people were going to play this on emulators. And I don't know, like, the nothing I saw in the trailer was that interesting to me because it's all just combat. And I don't know, Diablo combat, I think it's really kind of boring. And eh, I don't know, I don't have don't any know. excitement for this. I don't know. It, like, I would, I, like, unfortunately, like, I, I don't want to reinstall Battle.net uh, ever again. So, like, I don't, I, I might try don't it worry, out. Don't worry, Josh. Don't I worry, might try Josh. to on like a BlueStacks emulator, maybe that still emulate like the mobile version, but I don't want to battle that for it. Don't worry, Josh. Mm. Give it a year, and uh, BattleNet will no longer exist. You'll just have to deal with the Microsoft Store. 
Oh boy. Yeah, that's your first. I, 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 sorry, I have PTSD of Microsoft Store, so I don't know. Even... Well, it might be on Steam too, because Microsoft Maybe. has a lot of different games on Steam. But... Yeah, but that's just starting to release some of their older titles on We got a new, uh, similar to the video from the Soul Hackers 2 that we saw a few weeks back, we got a combat detail set series of videos from Nintendo for Xenoblade Chronicles 3. At least that's what I was hoping we would get. And I remember, like, we, we talked with, about the Xenoblade Chronicles 3 news last week about the release date being moved up, about uh, the information about having six characters in battle at once. We kind of semi-made fun of the UI, about how it's being, how from a glance it's very cluttered and messy and hard to follow. But we know from experience, having played the first two games, that we know that eventually it'll make perfect sense. Uh, we talked about how Xenoblade Chronicles 3 has this uh, Holy Trinity system having attackers, defenders, and healers. So when I heard that they were going to get some video primers about the combat in Xenoblade Chronicles 3, I was like, all right, let's dive into this and let's uh, figure out what this game does. However, it really only details the combat at like a very, very, very high level. Like if you've played any sort of uh, any MMO or even any other RPG that has roles for attacking, healing and defending of any sort, or let alone another Xenoblade game, this is pretty much just the basics of the basics. It talks about how you want to have uh, enemies like will have combat lines between what they're aggroed against. You want to make sure that your defenders are the ones taking most of the attention while your attackers attack from the rear or from the sides. About your healers, you want to keep safe so that they can do their jobs. Uh, talk about being able to switch party members um, freely. And that's pretty much it. I don't think I really missed anything. And there's actually there's actually some sauce in it. Um, like for example, like healers are the only ones who can revive uh, people in combat. So like uh, like in other previous Xenoblade games, anyone in combat can like pick up party. Yeah, members. run over and pick up a party yeah, but, member. But in this one, healers are the only ones who can do that. So like they, they sort of have a, a, a like more value in them. Um, like but for people who played previous Xenoblade games, like. The, the the sauce in this is a, a lot more subtle. For example, like being able to just like do a dodge roll or dodge dash in the middle of a combat combat string is like big, you know. For people who played the uh, previous Xenoblade, it's like oh that's really good because that makes positioning uh, that much easier because we need to get to the side or the rear really fast um, because there will be skills that like you know will affect how like either their da damage multiplier or there are some skills that can't even be used unless you're in that position um, and that that's that's just really cool to see that like the combat system in this game is much more proactive in terms of like what you're actually how you're positioning yourself uh, in combat and of course it's a lot more busy since there's a lot more uh, characters on screen and like during battle you have your whole squad with you so yeah it, it feels the it, it, character I mean battles feel much more lively uh, just on that on that alone so I think uh, there were there were things about Xenoblade Three system that like. I really like already, just like from the small uh, taste of, of we've seen so far. But this is just coming from a person that's like played and understood like uh, previous Xenoblade games, battle systems. Yeah, and despite how busy the UI gets, like I know eventually it'll make perfect sense. And I really actually enjoy the cooldown based systems of both the first and the second game as well as all of its different variants like with uh torna and all that so i really enjoy the xenoblade combat systems and i'm pretty sure this will be no different i just don't know how six party members will feel because i feel like that's kind of a that's kind of a fun little like buzz marketing point like play with all six at the same time but will it actually feel good to have that much like noise going on and imagining them all shouting and whether or not that'll have a hit on performance 
Uh, well, if you th- if you think about it, Xenoblade Two already had six party members uh, at the field at once with the with the, how the blade driver mechanic worked. Like mm. your 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 blades were also constantly chattering uh, mm. as well. So you know, it, I'm sure it won't be too too different, but at the same time, it, it it'll it, it'll feel overwhelming from the get go. Uh, just try to get acclimated to it. We did get an update for the Japanese release of Kuro no Kiseki, and I hope I get these details right, Josh, or sorry, James or Adam might need to correct me, is that it will be releasing on PlayStation 5 and PC on July 28th, but of course, this is still just the Japanese version of the game, as well as we'll have title, uh, subtitles for Chinese and Korean. So that's only for the PC version, so it has a Steam page, but will not support English officially. You got one thing slightly wrong. The oh, no. PC the PC version is Asia only, not Japan. In the oh, sense it that- won't support Japanese, which funnily enough, this basically soft confirms that Nisa already has the uh, license <laughs> because uh, the Japanese version of Nuyuta on Steam was all- actually already published by Nisa. It's just once the localization is finished, it'll be updated with the English version. And clouded. So basically, it was like a concurrent announcement. Falcom themselves announced that Kronos Kaseki is coming to PlayStation Five on July twenty eighth, and then Clouded Leopard Entertainment, which is uh, basically they're based in China or Hong Kong, uh, uh, they announced simultaneously that it's coming to basically China, Korea, uh, Asian regions on the same date for PlayStation Five, but also PC. And Clouded Leopard Entertainment actually has several of these Falcom games on PC that don't support Japanese, like they said Japanese voices, but not text. Like for example, they released actually a Korean Chinese version of East nine just earlier this year for that region. It's if you look up East nine on steam, there's two different versions of it. There's the English and Japanese text version, which we played that's the Nisa port. And then there's the clouded leopard version, which is the Asian version. So it's like the, the, uh, the license for this is separate between what NIS America does and what they get for Asia. So it seems like this is purely the Asian version. So what James is saying is that this sort of confirms that someone else, probably NIS America has licensed like the version for eventually English and Japanese. So I think I've noting that the uh, steam version of cold steel three was, uh, like going by Steam uh, DB was in development like over a year before even the PS4 version was uh, announced for localization. So it would absolutely not shock me if uh, Durante's team at PH3 is already well at work on the PC version of uh, their PC version of Kuro. I know Kiseki. But it makes sense. Wait, so th- will this eventually have then two different scene pages? One for Clouded yes. Leopard, one for PH3? If you look <laughs> if you look up if you look up the Legend of Heroes on Steam, you will find a Legend of Heroes Hajimari no Kiseki page and a Legend of Heroes Girls into Reverie page. Both of them are accessible to English uh Steam users. And in fact, you can buy the uh Clouded Leopard version for sixty dollars US. If oh, you that is interesting. And like I just said, East Nine Monster Monox, there's two different versions of that. And you could buy the Chinese Korean version <laughs> if you wanted on Steam. Yeah, like the especially with Haji Mari, it's pretty transparent that Clouded Leopard knows what they're doing. 
they know that Misa is not going to have the localization out for a bit and that people are going to be impatient. And I'm not even going to blame them for it. And they're just going to buy the Cloud Leopard version and then use like an overlay. Or even though there was a cease and desist for it, somebody else made a patch to implement the spreadsheet translation for Hajimari already. It's, oh, really? Yeah. So it's like you understand why they're doing it. And they're not saying why they're doing it, but it's like transparent what they're trying to accomplish with that. And it's like, it's not their fault. It's just like, man, very unfortunate situation all around. And then uh, related also releasing on July 28th. This was also, I assume announced directly from Falcom is that there will be a PlayStation four complete box set that bundles uh, in Japan, Seno Kaseki's one through four, as well as Hajimari. So basically, the whole complete set of that story arc. So Cold Seals one through four and Trails into Reverie, and it'll be one hundred and fifty dollars. Or it's 50, they, should, they, they should have called this. They should have called this the Reen Saga, dude. <laughs> <laughs> dude, it's so sick. But yeah, this this is a, a really really crazy deal for people who haven't bought any of these games. Like the like, if you were to like divvy up the math, it's like probably like between 27 to 30 dollars per game yeah um, i don't want to i don't want to know the math i want to know the hours count i want to know like 500 uh, minimum <laughs> dollars yeah. per hour here or whatever yeah well, there you go but that's yeah, obviously that's little... no one no it'll be interesting to see if we get a version of this once we have official reverie but no uh, because of xseed oh that's right because yeah. we'll have because we'll have different publishers that's a good point for the first two and the later two Man, the tra- the trails situation in the West is so. <laughs> I said this before, and I'll say it again. Whenever Falcom announces like the next East title, they just need someone else to localize it and like double up that year. Have NAS America continue working on trails, and then have someone else localize the East that, title. That Let's go, Shiravoon. That would be very unfortunate because, like, wasn't East Nine's localization really, really good? I haven't played it yet, but like everyone I know that yeah, played that's really, pretty good. Yeah. yeah. I'm just so. saying you can't just expect NIS America to like work at like double pace for every single game that Falcon puts out on a yearly basis. You need to like have someone else help out somewhere. So give give Nice America, NIS America, give them trails and give ease to somebody else. Just do Here's it. Here's hoping that because um East 10's been development for a while now, I want to say close to like three and a half years at this point, and then by the time it comes out next year. Like, presumably, presumably it'll be next year. It'll be like four and a half, something like that. Maybe, maybe the the dialogue and all that is done. And maybe Falcom has already let whatever partner they're working with for it start localization early. I know I'm I know I'm huffing like <laughs> copium right now, pretty fucking heavily. But it's like, yeah, you're talking about the 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 Japanese developer that is like infamous for like having a fucking rewrites like a month before shipping. <laughs> it's ease. What do they care about re- <sighs> I, I hate this so much. Why am I even complaining? I'm not the one suffering. It's like God. Oh man, I'm so fucking sorry. Uh, Falcom fans, except for the people that gave me death threats, you deserve this. Damn. Yeah, it's just it's it, it's a it's it's a messy situation, and yeah, those people can fuck off if they're giving death threats to anyone. It's just a video game, guys. Yeah, come on. Yeah, but yeah, it's just very unfortunate all around. 
We do have a couple sales updates uh, for this week. Uh, the big one is that Tales of Arise has reached 2 million copies sold. I believe this puts it third behind behind Tales of Vesperia and Symphonia, and it's tied with Tales of Bizaria. Is That's right. Although Vesperia kind of ha- is kind of cheating because it had like three different releases. So yeah. Um, but I mean, this is multi-plat, so whatever. But, but yeah, basically, right th- uh, right now, the best-selling Tales game, the number we have is, I believe, two point eight eight million for Tales of Vesperia, and that's including like all versions of it, like the original Xbox, PS3, and Definitive. So like, there's some double dipping there for sure. Um, and then Tales of Symphonia is at two point four million. That was a GameCube exclusive in the West. We got a PS2 version. I guess it did get the PC version and the PS3 version. So also multiple versions. Um, eventually, that's at 2.4. And then Bezeria is at 2 million uh, and Arise is at 2 million. So it's at least top five. Yep. So they're doing, doing pretty well. well. Uh, I think it'll eventually. I feel hmm, like it's what? inevitable it'll be uh, number one down the road because you know how like tales games go they they eventually become like five dollar themes yeah it's like so yeah the fact that it was able to do that within less than a year and not have the double dipping well assumedly maybe people bought multiple console versions i'm not sure but doing pretty well uh not sure exactly what namco's um like aspirations for it were because obviously they sunk a lot more budget and time into this one so it's just the sort of payoff they wanted hard to I say know. If, 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 they don't have high aspirations for it because they start getting crossword puzzles like our like scarlet nexus so <laughs> what was that was... so i saw i saw this tweet about a scarlet nexus crossword puzzle and i didn't know what this was I don't know exactly. They literally just—they literally just tweeted just like a mini crossword, like for Scarlet Nexus. Like, please fill out the crossword and like some, you know, like who, which character has this power? And it's just like, okay, that's yeah, that's, have, that's uh, a social yeah. media strategy I haven't seen before. Yeah, they had these like random like activities with Scarlet Nexus that like I don't think I've really seen in any many other Bandai Namco like like properties. Just like they have like just like I don't know. They have this weird like continuing marketing cycle for Scarlet Nexus that I don't think I've seen for any of their other games or just like just fun like little things for the game whether it's like little factoids or like in this case a crossword puzzle it's like who, whoever is really running that social media account for Scarlet Nexus really really wants this to continue <laughs> it feels like a lot of stuff behind Scarlet Nexus has been basically just they've just willed it into being they're just like we're gonna push for this we're gonna make this happen and to, to be fair that also had a uh sales milestone that we announced a few weeks ago right well what was scarlet nexus at we oh. got the one million sales two million players that's what it was right. yeah. because yeah when you have game pass it comes harder to like count i guess it's like mm-hmm. it's not really a sale but it sort of counts some of those game pass players are filling out that crossword puzzle right now think about that. maybe yeah the other sales thing it's on Game Pass and I can actually play it if I wanted to. Will you fill out the crossword puzzle too? No. I'm <laughs> look, I'm not even I said I can play it if I want to. I'm not even committing to playing that game. <laughs> the other sales update that we got was for Atelier Sophie 2. Uh Atelier Sophie 2, the Alchemist of the Mysterious Dream, has sold 200,000 units worldwide. And my immediate con- uh, not concern is too strong a word, but this is I think pretty much on par with how most Atelier games sell, but not quite reaching the same plateau that Ryza and Ryza 2 did, which were both at about ballpark half a million each, correct? Because I remember they did they had this announcement early in the year where they said, 
Um, it was either early this year or middle last year where combined they had sold a million. They said like Atelier Rise of One and Two. Yeah, Rise of Two. Yeah. Rise of One is like at 600,000 and Rise of Two is at like 400,000. I don't think this is really that much of a concern because first off, I mean, like how long has Sophie Two been out? Like a month and a half, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Late February. I mean, it, yeah, so two months. Um, I mean, Sophie One, not as many people played as Rise of One. I mean... This is perfectly acceptable sales for what they probably expected. Yeah, because that would you know, be my pe- read. People are hesitant to, st- to play sequels and haven't played the original. And Sophie One was before Ryza kind of bolstered the, um, yeah. I guess, the footprint of the Atelier series in the West a bit. I've heard so, this one's really good. Uh, I will eventually get to it. Um, need to play more of my Atelier backlog because yeah, Paige, uh, I, Paige I liked it a lot. Is there any more atal- like announced Atelier games at the moment, or is just this uh, right now? I think this is the latest no. announcement. I we might get Rise of Three this year, but I'm not sure because that's the thing with like Gust is that they, they can be insane. Sometimes they can yeah. just be like, "We will release three Atelier games within this calendar year," and it's like, "Okay, you do you." Is Gust actually working on anything right now that we know of? Have they announced anything like new? They haven't announced anything, but it's a safe assumption that they were, are working. Oh yeah, on Rise they're of definitely Three. working on something. Yeah, for sure, most likely know. that. But it's like it's like one of those like weird like rest periods for Gus, where like we don't know anything. So like it's like are they at least maybe taking like a moment to rest? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, if Rise of Three came out like late this year, that would still be a longer development cycle than usual, like. Uh, Gus titles because that would have been like two years in between releases and obviously they'd be able to reuse a lot of assets even more so than usual um i i hope that rise of three isn't this year even though i'm sure it would still be great if it came out this year just because and this is something that a lot of people i know that have played the game have kind of came to the same conclusion rise of two was really shockingly good for only like one year of development time like the extra scope and whatnot. It's like, man, this is really fucking good. I wonder what Rise of Three could be like if it had a normal video game development cycle that wasn't. We have to get this out in a year. I guess we should so. sh- shout out to at the at the time of this podcast uh, podcast recording. Like, there's a, a Koei Tecmo sale up on Steam, and I think it might be up in other uh, uh, digital shops too for consoles. Like, they have some of these games we're talking about uh, on discount right now. If you want to get into the Atelier series, now is probably the best time because they don't go on sale very often. Pick up Rise of 1 and 2 and you'll have a great time. But, uh, yeah. Uh, was uh, Sophie 2 the, the first one with a worldwide simultaneous for Atelier or was that Rise of 2? Uh, Rise of 2 is not worldwide simultaneous. It was, I want to say, like a month and a half later. Okay, so Sophie 2 was the first I one. I was... Yeah, Sophie 2 is the first one for Atelier. Was, uh... Fuck, what's the name? Was that Blue Reflection sequel worldwide? Um, no. It was, like, behind the Japanese release by, like, a couple months. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, then Sophie 2 was the... There you go. Maybe they're taking this extra time before the uh, uh, announcing the, the next Atelier game to cook up another worldwide simultaneous. Yes, Blue Reflection Second Light was uh, two weeks apart. Okay, that's pretty okay, close. Right. So. I'm still pretty close to, <laughs> to worldwide. Yeah, we got some Final Fantasy 16 news, guys. Kind of. It's so, free. Didn't lie. 
Right. Right. Uh, so uh, this news kind of came from a, uh, uh, an interesting original source, but then kind of proliferated through, you know, people desperate for something to latch onto for news about whether or not we'll see this game this year or not. So we've had reported on recently about a partnership between Square Enix and uh, I'm going to hope I pronounce this right. Uniqlo. The, yeah, the clothing, the, the clothing brand, about sixteen different Final Fantasy T-shirts to celebrate the series. Uh, we tweeted about it, and I think Alex put together an article about it as well. Uh, just kind of a, a fun collaboration. We've seen this before uh, between Square Enix and different um, uh, different merchandise partners. And however, in the latest in-store Uniqlo magazine, as a promotion for this series of shirts, they had a small interview with the producer of Final Fantasy sixteen uh naoki yoshida and talking about the progress on the game and from the most you know kind of an unusual source location and basically they said in this in this little printed interview in the store magazine that they are nearing the finale of final fantasy 16's development that's pretty much the extent of the news as far as i can tell from this interview they talk about how they uh, they want to have people be enthusiastic about the game. They want it to have a better unison between story and gaming experience, single player, things like that. Some very like general uh, vibe about what they're trying to like aim for and their aspirations. People have latched onto the fact like, oh, maybe this is a 2022 release after all, if they're nearing the finale of development. And we knew that they were holding off. And like the reason why it was absent from Tokyo Game Show last year is because they wanted it to be in a really good place the next time they did show it. So does this mean that we'll be seeing it soon? I guess is what people are no. hoping for. Look, the, the the best the best quote in this uh, in the in this article is yeah, Yoshi P says, "I hope this will bring back the past enthusiasm of people who grew up to adults, got to know society, and thought real life is not easy like in the game." <laughs> so, real life should be more like Final Fantasy sixteen. Well. In- According to the OSHA P, maybe. So I'm guessing at some point this summer we're going to... Because we really haven't seen a, much of anything from this game since its original announcement. We had some character bios show up. Uh, I know Alex has done a lot of... Well, not just Alex, but for our site purposes. But general people have done some speculation about where they think the story will go uh, and things like that. But it's been really, really quiet. People are desperate for anything. Uh, this was kind of our shot in the dark pick. Was it for this year uh, for our anticipated game? How did we word that? I don't remember anymore. <laughs> I have no idea, dude. Yeah, I'm going to look this up. RPG sites, uh, most anticipated most RPGs of 2022. Uh-huh. Uh, did dude, we put this on there? I, I want to say no. I want oh, to say it, no. It, wow, it was our wishful thinking pick in 2021. I'm so so bad at this, apparently. So uh yeah. So we just decided to put it on 2022 as our, one of our most anticipated. Uh, maybe it's still wishful thinking, but according to this interview, uh, maybe not. Uh, near the finale of development, maybe we'll see a big blowout this summer at some point. Completely random, but it's kind of fucked up that two years in a row, there was like not many RPG releases until like half of the year's releases just like choke slam us in like three weeks in July. Yeah. You know, you know, it's also fucked up. Where's our status update for Star Ocean the Divine Force? Where's oh, yeah, that? That is supposed to be this year, isn't it? Uh-huh. And well, I played I'm all these sure other Star Ocean will... games to prepare for it. Yeah. I'm sure we will get updates on it and Final Fan uh Final Fantasy 16 with whatever Square has planned for their totally not, not E3. E3. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like you say. 
No, they're gonna have they're gonna spend another fifty minutes on the new Guardians of the Galaxy. We should just we should just start calling it Key Three now since it's all Jeff Keeley. <laughs> so we had a couple uh two more news uh, items on the list, and these are both late editions. So Josh, I think you're being coy here, but there was some big, big persona news. Oh yeah, dude. So was this the, one of the anniversary like card teasers, yes. or was this something separate? This was one we of got, those. Th- th- this was the April live stream of the Persona twenty fifth times. Uh, you know that whole lot of string of like announcements the Persona series was getting to celebrate mm-hmm. its twenty fifth an- anniversary, and then for the April's edition, we got a concert at the Autumn in Japan. Woo! Persona Super Live twenty twenty two. Let's go! Has anything matter, substantial guys? like like? Uh, this is gonna. This is immediately like disparaging. Has, has anything substantial come out of this 25th anniversary website teasing thing? Uh, Persona 4 Arena ports yep. were part of it. Oh, did was Soul Hackers 2 one of these or no? That was no. Out. We were wondering if it was like <laughs> maybe, but uh, it ended up being just like the. I think the February one was the. Uh, was that the like summer, the, that was the yeah. summer like event for like Disney World thing? Like they had the amusement land thing type deal that they were holding. I think that was that was it. Um, like they're like designating a space in Japan to like uh, put up like a whole exhibit, I think. Um, no, but for like the the big announcement was the for this month was you know in October they're having a you know uh, a concert and a new super live concert. But you know it does that. This is not this is not all doom and gloom because they have announced things at the end of uh, these super live personas concerts in the past, like the persona. Uh, five and uh, Persona Three dancing games, I believe, were un- initially unveiled and announced after a co- uh, one of these super lives. I I want to say maybe Persona Q two as well, um, but I, I don't remember um, on that one. And also, it being an, in October, being held in October, uh, would line up with the time frame of the last announcement of these Persona twenty fifth anniversary things because it's the last announcement is supposed to be held sometime in autumn. 2022 and it being in october this concert it would line up around there so maybe maybe there it'll it'll show the that last announcement for persona the big one whatever it is might show up there it looks like the next announcement will be in june so stay tuned look forward Mm -hmm. to that maybe maybe yeah, I mean the, the 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 only other things they announced here besides the concert was you know there there's a new stage play that um they're doing for Persona Five, um and then more merch if you want Persona Five Peppermint. The last thing on the list here is an announcement of a remake for R Type Tactics One and Two. Yeah, I dude. do not know what these are. Why should these I be excited were, for this, Josh? These are PSP RPGs uh, that came out. Man, that was like. 2008 ish yeah 2000 like 2007 to 2008 ish um these were really cool like grid based like um takes on like the art type formula because art type is usually like a a side scroller shooter while in the and these games uh on the psp there's like an art type tactics like spin-off that made them into fucking uh, like strategy rpgs almost they were really cool and to hear that they're remaking this is like I, I'm excited. I'm excited. Have you have you played these, Chow? I played R Type, the original R Type, and R Type Two, and there's like many other games that copy its formula because the R Type ship has like a little orb in the front that blocks anything that that any like small bullets and stuff. And there's like other clones out there. There's like the Neo Geo clone for it, which is like Pulse Star. If anyone played that, 
Yeah, they, these were like these were like hexagon strategy RPGs. Like they reimagined like what R type is with these games. It's kind of like, it's kind of it, cool. It was really cool. So man, I it's one of those things that like me and maybe like ten other people in the world. <laughs> I'm like yeah, like yeah, they're probably doing a remake for ten people. <laughs> uh, I'm in. I'm in. So it just uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to like hey. If any of you out there, one of the few R-Type Tactics fans or the people who remember R-Type Tactics and have fond memories of it, um, it's not dead. They're remaking uh, the, those two games. And I'm really excited to see what they look like because the, those were uh, uh, two really fun games on, P- on the PSP. And they, they announced that these remakes will be in a single package, but not anything other than that uh, platforms, uh, release date, anything. So, yeah. All right, and that covers us for the podcast. So kind of a weird hodgepodge, uh, but some interesting things to talk about. It was cool to hear uh, Adam's thoughts on Zelda. I was, I was glad that I had the opportunity to talk a little bit more in depth about Weird West, talk about the, the trials and tribulations of Ultimate Rating in Final Fantasy XIV, and just some interesting uh, updates on some games that we're looking forward to, some of them more substantial than others. Uh, hopefully we'll get more substantial updates on Final Fantasy XVI too. I'm waiting to do a blowout episode on that and kind of get back to what that game was all about and get myself excited. Maybe that's a 2022 release. We can only hope. Uh, anyways, we, it's, it's wishful thinking 2022 on the most uh, anticipated this year. That's yeah. what it is. So again, as we said at the top of the podcast, if you go to rpgsite.net, we do have all the features that um, Scott has put up from his trip to PAX East for those three indie games. And again, those are for WrestleQuest, Symphony of War, and Demio. We have Alex's feature on Nier, if you want to read that, as well as all the news that we talked about, uh, the Monochrome Mobius, uh, more detailed announcement. We've got the, uh, the news for the sales updates and everything else that showed up this week. You can join our Discord by hitting the link at the top of our homepage or typing discord.gg slash RPG site. You can find us on all the other social media channels, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for RPG site and you should find us. And we will be back next week with another edition of the TetraCast. So until next time, Stay safe and take care, and we'll talk to you then. Later, everyone. Can't wait for the New York collab in FF16.